morning, everyone. I'm Poppy Harlow, along with Phil Mattingly, live outside of the Capitol in Washington, D.C. This morning, it is Wednesday, October 4th, and there is no Speaker of the House. We are going to discuss the politics of how this happened and where we go from here. Certainly, we're going to talk about the process of what happens next, but we are really focusing this morning on the implications. The People's House is paralyzed. It cannot do its job for you, the American people, after Kevin McCarthy became the first Speaker of the House in our nation's history to be removed. The office of Speaker of the House of the United States House of Representatives is hereby declared vacant. Take a look at these. These are the front pages from the major papers across the country. As you wake up this morning, our nation enters uncharted territory. The House is in chaos with just weeks left to prevent a government shutdown. Republicans are now scrambling to find a new leader after a small rebellion of just eight members, led by Matt Gates, was able to topple McCarthy. In today's world, if you're sitting in Congress and you took a gamble to make sure government was still open, and eight people can throw you out as speaker, and the Democrats who said they wanted to keep government open, I think you've got a real divide. I think you've got a real institutional problem. That is not a government that works. That is chaotic. Now, while there is no clear front runner, some names are emerging as possible successors to McCarthy, including his number two, House Majority Leader Steve Scalise, Chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, Jim Jordan, CNN Congressional Correspondent Lauren Fox is here with us on set. Lauren, the big question now, I think once you kind of pick your jaws up from the floor, this is the first time in the history of the institution that this has happened. What happens next? Yeah, we're in unprecedented times. The question, of course, when will a race for speaker begin? It will not start at the earliest until next week. That is when House Republicans plan to return to the Capitol and begin this process. Right now, there's no alternative, Phil, and that is really why we are in these unprecedented times. Former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy vowing not to run for speaker again. After an unprecedented vote Tuesday, plunging the House of Representatives into chaos. Unfortunately, 4% of our conference can join all the Democrats and dictate who can be the Republican speaker in this House. I don't think that rule is good for the institution, but apparently I'm the only one. The motion to vacate was filed by Representative Matt Gates, who, along with seven other GOP members, voted to oust the speaker. With Democrats' votes, the motion passed, 216 to 210. Those eight people are anarchists, and they're Chaos Caucus members. McCarthy's speakership was the third shortest in history and was plagued with GOP infighting over spending cuts, border security, and providing aid to Ukraine. You all know Matt Gates. You know it was personal. It had nothing to do about spending. Speaker McCarthy's time is over. I wish him well. I have no personal animus to him. I, I hope he finds fruitful pastures. Now the race is on for House Republicans to elect a new speaker, as another possible government shutdown is 44 days away. What I'd like you to take away from it is I'm tired of being lectured by people that have been here for decades, okay, and have put us in $33 trillion in debt. 
Several names have emerged as possible contenders for speaker, including House Majority Leader Steve Scalise. Scalise has already started reaching out to members, gauging a possible bid for the role. No one really knows who has the votes. So now we're going to go through that exercise right now and see who has our, our uh, support. Another possible name floated is House Judiciary Chairman Jim Jordan. I thought it was unfair to, unfair to Kevin. He's a good man um, and he didn't deserve this in my judgment. You, will you run for speaker? That's a decision for the conference. One person not interested in the job is Gates. Are you putting yourself forward for the speakership? Absolutely not. I have no desire to be speaker. McCarthy, for his part, says he has no regrets about his tenure as speaker. I don't regret standing up for choosing governing over grievance. It is my responsibility. It is my job. And House Republicans, because they don't have a speaker and because we don't know how long this process is going to take, there's legitimate questions about whether or not the government is going to be funded in just a little over a month and a half at this moment, given the fact that right now the House of Representatives, the building behind us, has really descended into chaos. It was so shocking yesterday when the news came that they're going home to socialize with others. It's a different way to interpret socialize, but then come back in a week to try to get all this business done for the American people. Lauren, stick around. Thank you very much. Well, let's also bring in our listener anchor and CNN Chief National Affairs Analyst, Casey Hunt, Axios Senior Politics Reporter, Eugene Scott. Guys, welcome. Um, Eugene, I want to start with you because we can get into the kind of nitty-gritty in the weeds of the speaker's race and what's going to happen and what delegations are meeting, how they're actually going to try and uh, play this out. But to start to pull back a little bit. This was a week House Republicans were supposed to start moving on two more spending bills, which was at the crux of this entire problem. Instead, the institution is completely paralyzed. Uh, It is a critical piece of one of the branches of the federal government of the United States of America. And no one has any idea if there's a path forward at this point. How is it possible we got here? Well, if we think about how this began, McCarthy ascending to the speaker leadership position, we shouldn't be that surprised. He had a hard time getting there in the first place. And we should have known then, we didn't know that it would happen within 12 months, but that he would find himself in a state where someone would bring forward a motion to vacate based on disagreements with him on policy, uh, procedure, behavior, ideology. And, and we're here. He had a hard time keeping this party together for, for various reasons. There is ideological diversity. But there are also some petty grievances. And this is what happened it's when you have those issues. So, Phil, I, you know, I go back to, and, and I know you have known Kevin McCarthy over the course of your career, and I've been in a lot of different situations with him, public, private, listening to how he talks to people. When you are listening to him, he is almost always telling the person across the table from him what they want to hear. That is how he got into this position in the first place. And when your job is primarily to recruit candidates and raise money, it works really well. I think the challenge here and part of why you're seeing so many of these hardline members talk about personal reasons they're upset with McCarthy is that once you actually have the gavel, once you're in power and you say things, there are actually consequences when you don't deliver on them. People do not forget. Uh, And, you know, I think he kind of got himself into a little bit of trouble here in that the way he has always done business, the way he rose just simply didn't work once the responsibility was on his shoulders. Lauren, what about Americans waking up this morning to this news? And they're at home going to work and making breakfast for their kids and sending them to school. And they're asking themselves, can we trust Republicans to govern, to do their job? 
Yeah, I think this is one of the issues that Democrats were weighing when they were trying to decide yesterday how they wanted to proceed. Republicans were making the argument to their colleagues that don't you want this institution to function? And I think Democrats were thinking to themselves, yes, we do, but not with Kevin McCarthy. And there is a possibility that this is prolonged, that this goes on for a very long time. And the American people start to see that this is what Republicans do when they govern. A long time could be weeks, it could be days, but you know, even if this is wrapped up by next Friday, that's still two weeks lost in the appropriations process. And that is two weeks that House Republicans want to try to pass standalone bills that Phil was talking about. Those bills are going nowhere in the United States Senate, which means it's sort of a shell game that's happening on the House side before you get to the larger problem of actually negotiating with the Senate and getting a deal. And the next person who becomes speaker, that problem that existed for McCarthy yeah. is going to exist for them. It's about keeping the government open, right? right? What are they, 42 days now and counting? 43, 42, yes. Ukraine funding. Right. So many critical issues in, in these few weeks. And as Lauren said, maybe they waste two weeks or more here. And so, Lauren makes your point in the sense that they're trying, they're playing a shell game when it comes to the actual bills themselves, yeah. but they haven't even started, like, set out the table and put the shells out yet to play the shell. They took it all up back yesterday. And so yeah. now everything is frozen. I'm just going to try and continue the metaphor out as far yeah, as I, I can go. <laughs> Let's also, look, I don't want to be doomsday over here, but big picture, right? I mean, this is the United States of America. It's a major player on the world stage. We haven't had a, I mean, the rule, the rule that was written that means that Patrick McHenry has that gavel, it was actually put into the rule book formally after September 11th mm. because there needed to be a plan for continuity of American government. And while right now, yes, we're talking about what I'm sure to many Americans feels very wonky, very in the weeds, spending bills, the appropriations process, it's very hard to understand. But if there were to be a crisis, which there could be at any moment, the reality is there is no one running this show. And that is potentially a major what actually problem. happens? Let's, let's, let's play process, that out for a the minute. The power that Patrick McHenry has right now is extremely limited. Basically, he can run a speaker's race. That's it. That's what he can yeah. do right now. He cannot take further legislative action, which speaks to Casey's point. If you have a crisis, and we you know, don't want to be doomsday, but if you have a crisis, you don't have a way to solve well, it in act, the House of really? Representatives. What a- so well, let's let's play this out, Poppy. And Phil, I know you were I think you were there uh, when they passed the uh, the American the TARP, the, yeah. the the plan that bailed out the banks. Right. To, if in took fact, a couple of shots. We had, you know, if, if Lehman Brothers were to fall, we don't or the way it did at that at that time, they can't organize this body to actually do anything quickly. I mean, think about what happened when covid was declared a pandemic and they had to suddenly make sure that Americans had enough money in their pockets to get food off the door. Now, we can hope that in the event that something like that happened, the Republicans would recognize it and they would say, OK, let's like very quickly get Steve Scalise in the chair so we can actually do things. But I do think it's important for people to remember that, you know, the Congress in moments of great national crisis and strife actually plays a very significant Those are a great role. example. Let's talk about options for who it could be. I mean, I think this is, and Casey makes a great point, when she says maybe they'll move quickly on to Steve Scalise, he is the number two. He's a majority leader. He and Jim Jordan were asked what they wanted to do. Take a listen. Are you physically up to the job of speaker? Do you feel okay to handle that? If the conference comes to like you to be the speaker, would you do it? I'm going to talk to the conference over the next week, Sean. I think that's the key. I don't. Th- I think this is a day where we say, look, what happened here was not good. I think what happened yeah. to Kevin McCarthy was not fair. Let's figure out how we come together as a conference and focus on our agenda. So two things here, and I think they're critical points. One, Steve Scalise has health issues. Uh, he was just diagnosed 
Lauren, correct me if I'm wrong, with, with cancer um, of the blood a few weeks ago, at least publicly, he made that clear. So there's some concern about that. There's also concerns just generally about getting a 218. But Eugene, Jim Jordan, that answer is very, very telling. Yeah. He's leaving the door open, which is different than he was during the 300 votes for McCarthy. Sure. Sure. Um, and he has a lot of support inside the conference. So what happens here? He does, but he also has some popularity issues. I mean, Jim Jordan's been a bit of a firebrand in the GOP. He's moved a little more to the center over the past few months, but he's upset many Republicans uh, in how he handled things in January, and some haven't forgotten that. The reality is uh, there are moderate, more centrist Republicans who are in districts that, you know, Biden won, and they're concerned about what they put forward and who they put forward to lead the GOP as they try to figure out if they're going to be able to keep the House in the next election. Yeah, there's 18 of them in Biden won districts, and they're the reason that Kevin McCarthy was speaker right. for 246 days. Um, all right, guys, stay with us. we got a lot more to get to. We're going to continue to follow all the twists and turns here in the Capitol all morning. We're also following other news, including a mass shooting on the campus of Morgan State University in Baltimore. Those details coming in overnight. Also happening now, the biggest healthcare worker strike in U.S. history has just begun. Tens of thousands of Kaiser Permanente employees will strike for three days at hundreds of locations across the country in an effort to get better pay, higher staffing levels, and guaranteed performance bonuses. Much more on what that means for hospitals nationwide. Uh, Kevin McCarthy, where's Kevin? There's my Kevin. Was Kevin McCarthy, the great Kevin McCarthy. We have we have a great man, and he's going to be hopefully a great speaker of the House. We got to get him there. Well, Donald Trump did help get Kevin McCarthy there, but McCarthy worked for it. We all remember that trip to Mar-a-Lago McCarthy made to patch things up with Trump after criticizing him in the wake of the January 6th attack on the Capitol. But now the man once affectionately dubbed my Kevin finds himself ousted Kevin. Do you support Matt Gates's efforts to remove McCarthy as speaker? I don't know anything about those efforts, but uh, I like both of them very much. That was on Sunday, but just yesterday. I don't know the guy. <laughs> <laughs> but after the vote to remove McCarthy as speaker, Congressman Matt Gates suggested he may have had the former president's backing. Listen. My conversations with the former president leave me with great confidence that I'm doing the right thing. Did the only official comment on this from Trump was on Truth Social. Quote, why is it the Republicans are always fighting among themselves? Why aren't they fighting the radical left Democrats who are destroying the country? Close quote. Let's bring back in Lauren Fox, Casey Hunt, and Eugene Scott. I mean, sound says it all. Yeah, the question I actually was trying to yeah. get in right after yeah. that was, did you talk to the president? former president today, and he did not answer that question. You have another I mean, shot today. Exactly. I mean, I think one of the biggest questions right now is these right-wing hardliners, they did this, and they didn't have an alternative. Yeah. There was no plan. There was no game for here's how we're going to play this out. It was just, we don't like McCarthy, we're getting rid of McCarthy. And I think that the, as much as we're talking about this place descending into chaos and why they're not going to come back today and try to figure this out. The reality is, if they did that right this moment, they would have a 15-round speaker race because Again. there is no plan B. You know, we are talking about a couple of candidates. We're talking about Steve Scalise, Kevin Hearn, Jim Jordan, 
The question just becomes, what do you do for the next couple of days to start to lock down votes? That work is already beginning for Steve Scalise and his team. They know how to win leadership races. They have done this before. They know how to fundraise. That's also another dynamic here. Kevin McCarthy was a prolific <coughs> fundraiser. Liked that life, knew how to do it, knew how to dine for dollars. There's a question about the other people in this race. Do they know how to do that? And can they put a team together to get the votes to try to lock things down? That's why I think Steve Scalise has such an advantage here. And he made clear yesterday when he was asked if he'd be up for the job that he feels great. It's always fascinating when the dog catches the car, or in this case, the car stops, the dog runs smack into it and like breaks its muzzle and several other uh, bones. The question I have, Trump's reticence to weigh in on this is not subtle. Um, he holds enormous sway over a significant portion of the House Republican Conference, more so than he does in the Senate. He has power there, but in the House, he can control things, he can move things around. When does he get involved explicitly, do you think? Well, I think my understanding from talking to sources is just that the calculation was that Trump didn't see anything in it for him one way or the other. So I think he was kind of telling everybody what they wanted to hear behind the scenes. Gates obviously heard what he thought he wanted to hear uh, from the former president. Uh, McCarthy's team didn't seem to send any signals that they were unhappy with what the former president is doing. And on the campaign side, it seems like he's just like, man, this is I'm going to kind of stay out of this. I, I don't know that he necessarily needs to have a dog in this fight as long as he's not unhappy with uh, whoever the choice may be. I mean, I do think it's going to be interesting if he weighs in and says, you know, I want Jim Jordan to be Speaker of the House. That could obviously change the conversation up here pretty yeah. quickly. Um, but, you know, I, I will say I, I think there was a lot of speculation. And, you know, when we covered this, when he had those 15 rounds, when McCarthy was trying to get the speaker's gavel, and then you tie that back to what happened on January 6th and the way McCarthy really switched. You showed that photo of him with Mar-a-Lago just days after uh, the Capitol was attacked. I think there was a, a perception that Trump was going to try to prevent McCarthy from ever becoming speaker. And that did not come to pass here. So, you know, I, I do think also Trump is like, he knows how to affect what they, they do here by throwing bombs into it, right? The number of times that Paul Ryan had to get on the phone with the White House and say, hey, I really need your help here. Please fix this. Um, so we'll see if he continues in that vein. Eugene, you made an interesting point uh, before this that McCarthy, in your view, didn't extend an olive branch he could have to more conservative Democrats. But do you really think this could have saved him, that they would have gone their own way and tried to come in and save him? Probably not. But... It certainly hurt him when you look at how he handled the past week. The, moving the forward, comments he made about Democrats last yes, Sunday. Yes, in terms of the shutdown, yeah. blaming them for saying that almost happened. The impeachment inquiry, moving forward with that, really pissed Democrats off. Uh, just days after, uh, so many of them have tried to figure out how they were going to find a way to not have to not have to force so many of the individuals who would suffer if a shutdown happened from finding themselves in a fate. And McCarthy didn't say anything to them that led them to believe that they could trust him. And that's why you had some leaders like Jayapal saying, we just don't trust him and, and questioning his character. All right, Eugene, Casey, Lauren, thank you guys very much. So much to dig into on this. We will throughout the course of the morning. Also happening today, former President Donald Trump says he'll be back in court for another day of his civil trial in New York City. He says he will testify at some point. Plus, why the judge rebuked him and handed down a gag order. We'll have more next. More CNN This Morning to come after the break.
We all do things our own way, and since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number smart beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, during Sleep Number's President's Day sale, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed plus special financing for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. See store for details. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life, I sit down with Giles Yeo. It is the problem of our brain influencing the hunger. So hunger is a brain scenario, even though the feeling of hunger comes from your stomach. It's a very new and provocative way of thinking about a condition that impacts more than 40% of Americans. But the thing is, this approach could have big consequences for the way that we treat obesity. Listen to Chasing Life, wherever you get your podcasts. as we join you from the nation's capital this morning, a live look at Trump Tower in New York City. In a few hours, former President Trump says he's going to go back to court. Day three of his civil fraud trial will begin this morning. For the first two days of trial, Trump has repeatedly attacked both the attorney general, Letitia James of New York, and the judge who is now imposing a gag order on Trump for targeting his clerk in a social media post. Meanwhile, Trump is saying he plans to testify, but it could be several weeks before he is called to take the stand. Our Bryn Grass following it all live outside the courthouse with more. There are so many things to get to, Bryn. The fact that the judge decides in this case, now he's got a gag order on Trump. Trump says he's going to take the stand. I am dying to know what his lawyers think about all of that. But walk us through this mandated order on a very serious note to keep Trump quiet after this, after what he posted about the judge's clerk. Yeah, Poppy, you know, it was super interesting because after lunch yesterday, the court was sort of delayed and everybody was kind of wondering what was taking so long. But when the judge went to the bench, he issued this strong rebuke right at the defense table where the former president uh, was sitting with his attorneys. And it was in response to a truth social post that Donald Trump had posted with a picture of Judge Angoran's clerk and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. And in that post claiming without any evidence that she is Schumer's girlfriend. Now, there's no clear connection of the relationship, if anything, past that picture uh, at this point. But the judge, someone who has been attacked by Trump many times throughout the course of this trial and before, this was a bridge too far. He essentially said that he asked it be taken down. It was, but he says that was before it was sent to millions of people uh, via email. And he said, personal attacks of any member of my court staff are unacceptable, inappropriate, and I will not tolerate them. He says now that the defense cannot talk publicly, cannot email, cannot post about anyone on his staff or there are going to be serious sanctions as a result. Now, listen, it's very unclear exactly what he means by that because he didn't issue a formal order. However, when court was over, everyone was called back into the courtroom as far as the defense and the state's attorneys without the press in there. And there was a conversation to be had before the president left, uh, former president left for the day. Brent, it's a, it's a fascinating decision given I think Trump has pictures with Hillary Clinton and many other people as well if he wants to play that game going forward. But I, I want to follow up on what Poppy was saying. At yeah. his wedding. Yeah, yeah, at his wedding. Um, Just you know, saying. His glass houses and all that. Yeah. Um, the idea that Trump says he's going to testify, he said it in the past. Do we have any reason to believe this time he actually means it? 
I mean, I, I think he does mean it. He said it yesterday. He's been on the witness list for both the defense and the state's attorneys. You know, I think it's going to be sooner than later because it does feel like the state's attorney is going to call him to the stand. And he's certainly eager uh, to take his own defense. And as we've been saying, defend his brand. Listen, this is something we didn't expect him, quite honestly, to come back to court today. We were hearing originally that it was just going to be a Monday, Tuesday thing. But he is in court. He is very engaged with his attorneys, listening to the testimony. As you know, the court reporters noted inside, it's very different when you have the former president sitting there as you're testifying. So there may be some sort of truth to why uh, he wants to physically be there. But we certainly do expect him to take the stand at some point in this three-month trial. All right. Keep us posted. Bryn Gengrass, thank you. Let's bring in CNN legal analyst and former federal prosecutor, Elliot Williams. Elliot, the idea of a gag order. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people have been wondering if anything in any of the cases would eventually get to this point. The judge said uh, not abiding by it would involve serious sanctions. What actual teeth does this have? Uh, not a lot, because number one, in order to have a serious sanction against a defendant who's a billionaire, you really have to be sanctioning him hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars, to really sort of stick it to him. And that's just not going to happen under the laws of, of, of New York court, court policy or procedure. Um, you could put him in prison. I was just going to ask uh, that. You can do that. It's less likely, but, it, but it's certainly doable. And frankly, Poppy, that's the one thing that I think is going to work at this point. That's right. Yeah, um, because just think about it. It's nothing has worked, whether it is warnings, threats of gag uh, orders or anything else. You got one penalty. I left. think you right. bring such a good point. Aaron Burnett was saying this last night and, and I was just saying yes through the television because he's been warned so many times on these fronts and nothing has happened. Yeah. That's the thing is like, why should he believe it this time? Absolutely. Now, what was interesting about this one was that um, it was he'd threatened, he'd made comments about the judge before right. I, and the judge sort of brushed up. There's no jury here. And there's, in effect, any comment he made wouldn't taint or prejudice the jury pool. The one thing he did, you, so you can say whatever you want and piss off the judge a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Going after court staff is a line you just do not cross as an attorney. This is a relatively junior career appointee, and you just don't do that. It can lead to someone getting hurt, but also undermine the integrity of the court. This was the bridge too far. Yeah. Elliot, I'll admit, particularly sitting in front of this building, I might be a little jaded and cynical, but <laughs> the idea that Trump will testify, yeah. we've heard it before. Yeah. Take a listen. I would love to speak. I would love to. Nobody wants to speak more than me. Would you be willing to speak under oath to uh, give your version of, of 100%. These are you going to talk to Mueller? I'm looking forward to it, actually. So, would you say, are you more likely to sit for an interview now? Uh, my lawyers are working on that. I've always wanted to do an interview. I would love to speak. I would love to go. Nothing I want to do more. So that's the actual yeah. basis for my skepticism. Do you think he actually sits down? Where's lawyers yeah. telling him? Uh, here's the thing. He may not have the choice if the plaintiffs call him to testify. This is a civil case, and uh, the, the, the other side can, the state can call him to testify. If this were a criminal prosecution, they couldn't. But he, he can plead the fifth, he but plead that the can fifth. be used against him. And it's used against him, so, yeah. How would you cross-examine him? I, I think you just let him talk. Uh, and let him talk himself into trouble. At this point, this is a defendant who seems to know that he's going to lose, and he's really just attacking the court and playing to the cameras and playing to voters. I think you just let him talk, let him run his mouth, let him contradict himself, shove those uh, receipts and pieces of paper in front of him. All those conflicting statements are going to work uh, for, the, for the prosecution's case. A lot of work cut out Give for him. his lawyers if they're going to train him yeah. for testimony. Imagine telling him short answers... 
direct, you know. Give him a leash. If you're the prosecutor, right. let him go. Elliot, great yeah. to have you. And in person, nice to be yeah. with you. Thank you so much. Well, every single House Democrat in attendance voted to oust Speaker Kevin McCarthy from his job yesterday. So who do they think should replace him? We're going to ask Democratic Congressman Pat Ryan next. And a new nationwide strike just kicked off, this time among thousands of healthcare workers from Kaiser Permanente, what they are calling for, what it could mean for hospitals across this country. That's ahead. After Florida Congressman Matt Gates filed a resolution that would remove Kevin McCarthy from the speakership, McCarthy tweeted, bring it on. And Gates replied, quote, just did. You know, a lot of people think Joe Biden is too old to govern, but it sounds like these guys aren't old enough. Back in January, Congress had to vote a record 15 times for McCarthy to get the speaker's job. But to remove him, just one. <laughs> Well, it didn't take long for the writers now back at work. You have some pretty rich content. Good week uh, to be back. By the building behind us uh, here on Capitol Hill, where for the first time in history, the Speaker of the House has been forced out of the job as it currently stands. There is no formally elected Speaker. McCarthy, though, Kevin McCarthy, laying blame squarely on eight Republicans who voted to remove him, but also blaming Democrats. I think today was a political decision by the Democrats. And I think... That I think the things they have done in the past hurt the institution. My fear is the institution fell today. Because you can't do the job if eight people, you have 94% of, or 96% of your entire conference, but eight people can partner with the whole other side. How do you govern? Joining us now to respond, Democratic Congressman from New York, Patrick Ryan. He, along with every other Democrat who was present yesterday, voted to remove McCarthy as Speaker. Uh, Congressman, I, I want to start there, because in terms of who's undermined the institution over the course of the last several decades, I don't know that anybody on the Republican side necessarily wants to get into that argument. But more broadly, I was surprised when every single Democrat stayed together on this. Why? We've been together from day one. And it's, it is such a stark contrast. This is my first year in Congress, my first full term. From day one under McCarthy, it's been chaos, division, dysfunction, and no results, no delivery. We have been at critical points, the Democrats, the saving grace, averting a fiscal cliff a few months ago, averting a shutdown last week. If folks are looking as we go forward, which is what I think we need to do and make sure we're actually providing results, the Democrats are the ones that have been the responsible party, the patriots, actually putting the country before the partisanship. McCarthy, unfortunately, has just presided over unprecedented chaos. McCarthy would say that he uh, went along with you guys. He worked with you guys on both of those fronts to do that. President Biden always says, uh, you know, consider me versus the alternative. Now the question for you guys doing this unanimously is do you believe one of the alternatives that is out there, the names being floated right now, Scalise, Jordan, Hearn, are better for the country? Well, I, I think we're thinking about this the wrong way, to be honest. The same- You need a speaker and McCarthy's not gonna run again. Well, I, I think we need Hakeem Jeffries as the speaker. I mean, he presides over and has unified the plurality of, of the House and, and guided us to partner and unify with about half of the Republicans on those key votes. And you think five Republicans agree with you on that? I think five Republicans or more have to zoom out, recognize the moment we're at in history where unprecedented 
territory. What happened yesterday has never happened in almost 250 years. What's, what we've been doing has not worked. I'm calling on five Republicans to unify with us as Democrats, support Hakeem Jeffries, and let's move the country forward. Let's deliver economic relief. Let's defend democracy. Let's protect reproductive freedom. That is what people in my district, that's what people across the country want. One of the things I heard several times from Republicans last night, but I think McCarthy also alluded to it at his press conference, was, of course, frontliners would want him out. He's a fundraising behemoth. He has the whole political operation. He's going to spend tens of millions of dollars to try and knock you out, uh, try to keep you from here during a special election. Is there any truth to that, that this was a political, you want to take out their biggest fundraiser? I think that tells you everything you need to know about how Kevin McCarthy thinks about the world as truly a political hack, a career politician who just hasn't probably talked to folks, real people in his district and across the country for a long time. I served 27 months in combat because I love this country. I love our democracy. I'm here to try to hold it together to, to build unity and restore trust. And to, to use those kinds of arguments, it, it shows why he failed as leader. Everyone wakes up this morning and they now know there's no speaker. And we were talking at the beginning of the show about the crises that could happen at any moment over the next week when everyone is home before they come back and try to get a vote. What do you say to them about how you guys will handle that? What, what would you do if something catastrophic happened? Well, and I, I've been communicating with leaders in my district, constituents in the district, immediately to help them understand why I made the, the decision I did, which I took very seriously, and what this means. It is important to reassure folks that we do have a speaker pro tem. The, the administration power. is going to continue to drive uh, forward. What we have to focus on is we need a speaker. We need to avert another potential shutdown in essentially 40 days. And so we need to get our act together and, again, act as patriots, not the same partisan bickering that's gotten us to this point for really my whole adult life. Before we let you go, you, you made the point that there are Republicans who work with Democrats. There are Republicans who certainly disagreed with the path that the conference has gone. Um, I believe you remember the problem solvers caucus. I know that there was a lot of anger from the Republican side. It's a, it's a moderate caucus. They work together. They're pretty close to one another, saying that it might fall apart based on the decision by Democrats to vote against or to vote him out. Um, is that is there truth to that? That this may actually set things in a worse spot between the, the members who actually work together. Uh, I'm not in the problem solvers caucus, so I haven't uh, been part of those conversations. But but I do think that. Uh, McCarthy's decision to cave to the MAGA extremists, to lower the threshold, and I know this is very wonky, but to lower the threshold for a motion to vacate to one vote, he, he enabled and empowered the most extreme forces. So we have to move away from that. I think some sort of changes to get us back to rules that, uh, that incentivize cooperation is critical because, uh, again, what, what we've had the last nine months has not worked at all. Brian Fitzpatrick and, Scott, and uh, Josh Gottheimer are going to be very upset. That I had their roster the problems. Wrong. It's okay, <laughs> Phil Mattingly. I'm slipping. Phil Mattingly never makes a mistake. This is devastating to me. I've people. been gone too long. It's this early. is why we're back here. Um, he's, he's very excited to be here. Thank you very much for your time. Thank appreciate you. it, sir. And thank you for your service to this country as well. We appreciate it. Uh, sad to report this mass shooting at Baltimore's Morgan State University. This happened overnight during homecoming week. We are live on campus. We'll bring you the latest on that investigation. Also, new details on the man accused of kidnapping nine-year-old Charlotte Senna. Stay with us. We'll have more next.
Well, this overnight, a mass shooting on an American college campus. Baltimore police say five people, four of them students, were injured in last night's shooting on the campus of Morgan State University. This happened as students were celebrating their homecoming week. We got several shots uh, right across from the patient at Thurgood uh, Marshall. Oh, God. Shots heard. Shots heard. Let's get right to Gabe Cohen. He is live on the scene of this terrible mass shooting. I know classes are canceled today. What do we know about the shooting and the condition of those injured? Well, Poppy, this morning, the search for a shooter continues. Police haven't indicated at this point that they uh, know who did this or what the motive might have been. As for those five young people who were shot, four of them Morgan State students, all of them, fortunately, are expected to survive. But look, this was, as you heard in that sound, a, a frantic scene last night around 930 as this all unfolded. Police on patrol in the area, hearing those gunshots racing in to find those five injured people. Uh, and that's when the school went into lockdown. A shelter in place order uh, was issued to students as a SWAT team combed building to building, trying to find whoever did this, as you mentioned, uh, unsuccessful at this point. They're still trying to find that shooter. Classes, though, canceled today. And look, Poppy, this was uh, supposed to be a time for celebration. It is homecoming week here at Morgan State. Uh, students were actually between events when this all unfolded. And this is the third straight year that homecoming has been marred by violence, by a shooting here on this campus. Uh, take a listen to Baltimore's mayor speaking about uh, this shooting last night. We are dealing with not just here in Baltimore, not just at Morgan State University, but across this country of the United States, an epidemic when it comes to guns and gun violence. And we have to stop saying not one more. We need action now. When is enough going to be enough? And Poppy, there is this broader context of the growing number of shootings on college campuses, including uh, that mass shooting on Michigan State's campus earlier this year. More than 500 mass shootings across the United States this year alone. Uh, alarming numbers, Poppy, and really concerning for students and, of course, parents who send their uh, kids, young adults, uh, to places like Morgan State, hoping that they're going to be safe. Of course, every parent's hope and three straight years of homecoming marred by violence there, Gabe. It really says it all. We're wishing the best for the victims. Thank you for the reporting. Also this morning, new details about the abduction of nine-year-old Charlotte Senna taken from a New York state park while camping with her family. Court documents show the kidnapping suspect, Craig Ross, owned property only 1,400 feet from the Senna family home. Seen as Gene Casares joins us live from the scene of the investigation. Uh, Gene, starting to get more details about what actually happened here. What more have we learned about the suspect? Well, well, CNN has learned that law enforcement has not yet interviewed nine-year-old Charlotte Senna. They are waiting for specialized forensic interviewers to arrive. As of late yesterday, they had not gotten into town. But these are skilled interviewers who interview young children that have been involved in horrendous but survived situations. A dramatic investigation still unfolding after a miraculous turn of events in the disappearance of Charlotte Senna. It's been a long two days, but tonight our prayers have been answered. The nine-year-old girl found alive Monday night, appearing to be physically unharmed after disappearing from a campground in upstate New York two days earlier. 
Authorities charging 46-year-old Craig Nelson Ross Jr. with her kidnapping. Searching the property where he lived in a trailer behind his mother's home and where he allegedly held the nine-year-old captive. The break in the case came at 4.20 a.m. Monday, 17 miles away where police were watching the Senna family home. A car pulled up. Law enforcement observed someone dropping something into the family's mailbox. State police immediately go to the mailbox and identify what is a ransom note that had been left behind for Charlotte. A fingerprint on the note which demanded money matched those from a 1999 drunk driving arrest. It led police to Ross and that camper where he lived. Monday evening around 6.30, SWAT teams moved in. After some resistance, the suspect was taken into custody and immediately the little girl was found in a cabinet, covered. She was rescued and she knew she was being rescued. Thank you for this. The good news delivered to the community during a prayer service for Charlotte. So excited. We, we came together, opened the doors to pray and, and we're seeing a miracle already. Charlotte was taken to a hospital to be checked out. Her family saying in a statement, we are thrilled that she is home and we understand that the outcome is not what every family gets. A huge thank you to all of the agencies that were mobilized, all of the families, friends, community, neighbors, and hundreds of volunteers who supported us and worked tirelessly to bring Charlotte home. We're all just breathing a sigh of relief, not just, you know, for them and her children, but for all of the children in the neighborhood, you know, it's we feel safe again. At this point, Ross is charged with first degree kidnapping. He remains in this jail behind me without bail. At this point, he has not spoken with law enforcement. CNN learned when he was arrested, he immediately asked for a lawyer. He is being represented by the public defender. Phil. All right, Gene Casares, thanks so much. The House of Representatives without a speaker this morning. We will speak with a Republican congressman who opposed Kevin McCarthy's ouster. Who will he support to be the next speaker? Congressman Mike Lawler here with us live. More CNN This Morning to come after the break. For the very first time ever, Republicans have successfully ousted a sitting speaker. Kevin McCarthy only serving for 269 days, his speakership undone by eight rebel Republicans. This represents the ripping off of the Band-Aid. That's what we need to do to get back on track. I do not regret negotiating. The government is designed to find compromise. The era of leadership control over everything in this building is definitely over. They're total disarray. They need time to figure out what's next. I think the American public understands what we're doing, and I think they fully support. President Biden is going to aim to strike a tone of business as usual. The House cannot do anything until there is a speaker who is elected here. Good morning from Washington, D.C. We are live outside the Capitol, where the House of Representatives is now paralyzed after Kevin McCarthy became the first speaker in the history of the chamber to be removed. That means Congress can't do its job for the American people and nobody's running the show, at least not officially or formally, with just weeks left to prevent a government shutdown. The Office of Speaker of the House of the United States House of Representatives is hereby declared vacant. 
What a moment. The House has been plunged into unprecedented chaos at a critical moment for our nation. Republicans are now scrambling to find a new leader after a small rebellion of just eight members, led by Matt Gates, was able to topple McCarthy. In today's world, if you're sitting in Congress and you took a gamble to make sure government was still open and eight people can throw you out as speaker and the Democrats who said they wanted to keep government open, I think you've got a real divide. I think you've got a real institutional problem. That is not a government that works. That is chaotic. And it is still anybody's guess this morning who might succeed McCarthy. Some names that are emerging include House Judiciary Chairman Jim Jordan and Majority Leader Steve, Steve Scalise. Kevin Hearn's name also out there. Our congressional correspondent Lauren Fox here with us. Lauren, good morning to you. No speaker. Never happened. Where do we go? Historic times, uncharted territory. We are in a place where the future of what is going to happen on the floor is uncertain, where we don't know who the next Speaker of the House is going to be. And a large question is looming. What does this mean for Republicans' ability to keep their majority in 2024? Former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy vowing not to run for Speaker again. After an unprecedented vote Tuesday, plunging the House of Representatives into chaos. Unfortunately, 4% of our conference can join all the Democrats and dictate who can be the Republican Speaker in this House. I don't think that rule is good for the institution, but apparently I'm the only one. The motion to vacate was filed by Representative Matt Gates, who, along with seven other GOP members, voted to oust the Speaker. With Democrats' votes, the motion passed, 216 to 210. Those eight people are anarchists, and they're Chaos Caucus members. McCarthy's speakership was the third shortest in history and was plagued with GOP infighting over spending cuts, border security, and providing aid to Ukraine. You all know Matt Gates. You know it was personal. It had nothing to do about spending. Speaker McCarthy's time is over. I wish him well. I have no personal animus to him. I, I hope he finds fruitful pastures. Now the race is on for House Republicans to elect a new speaker, as another possible government shutdown is 44 days away. What I'd like you to take away from it is I'm tired of being lectured by people that have been here for decades, okay, and have put us in $33 trillion in debt. Several names have emerged as possible contenders for Speaker, including House Majority Leader Steve Scalise. Scalise has already started reaching out to members, gauging a possible bid for the role. No one really knows who has the votes. So now we're going to go through that exercise right now and see who has our, our uh, support. Another possible name floated is House Judiciary Chairman Jim Jordan. I thought it was unfair to, unfair to Kevin. He's a good man, um, and he didn't deserve this, in my judgment. You, will you run for speaker? That's a decision for the conference. One person not interested in the job is Gates. Are you putting yourself forward for the speakership? Absolutely not. I have no desire to be speaker. McCarthy, for his part, says he has no regrets about his tenure as speaker. I don't regret standing up for choosing governing over grievance. It is my responsibility. It is my job. 
And as you can expect, there is palpable frustration within the Republican rank and file, as many members believed that Kevin McCarthy was doing as good of a job as anyone could. And the reality is, if they keep the current rules package that they have, which hardliners are probably going to insist on, the next speaker is going to be dealing with the exact same problems that McCarthy faced. All right. Lauren Fox, um, you got a lot of work, work to do the next couple of weeks, for sure. Uh, appreciate it. Thank you. Joining us now is one of the Republicans who supported Kevin McCarthy for speaker, Congressman Michael Lawler of New York. Congressman, appreciate your time this morning. Um, not exactly a, uh, a joyous time uh, in the building behind us or necessarily within your conference. I think my question right now is everybody tries to get a sense of what the landscape is. Do you have somebody in mind, now that Speaker McCarthy has taken himself out, uh, to be the next leader of your conference? I do. Um, but I think uh, there's going to be a lot of questions that have to be answered by all of the Ooh. potential candidates. I'm not going to say uh, publicly, but I think, uh, you know, first and foremost, uh, I think there needs to be a reckoning uh, within the conference. Uh, there needs to be accountability uh, for the eight individuals who selfishly upended our House majority uh, and put their own interests above the country, above the conference above the institution behind us. What does accountability look like? Uh, to me, in my personal opinion, they need to lose their committee assignments uh, and there needs to be consideration as to whether or not they're even part of the conference. Uh, we had House uh, Republican conference rules uh, that require a majority of a majority uh, before bringing the motion to vacate to the floor. The fact that these eight individuals teamed up with AOC, Ilhan Omar, uh, Jamal Bowman, who pulled a fire alarm the other day to upend a, a, a vote, uh, and Hakeem Jeffries, uh, is disgraceful, and it's wrong. The American people elected a House Republican majority to serve as a check and balance on the Biden agenda. Uh, they have torpedoed uh, the work that we were doing. Uh, they talked about the need to pass single-subject spending bills. Uh, they, they have delayed that indefinitely. Uh, and frankly, put whoever the next speaker is in a very precarious situation uh, to negotiate with Chuck Schumer and the White House. Uh, and so as far as I'm concerned, uh, I want to know from any potential speaker how they intend to deal with those eight, number one. Number two, I want to understand what they did to support Kevin McCarthy, whether or not they stood up and fought for Kevin McCarthy uh, and our majority. Uh, I also want to understand how they intend uh, to deal with House rules going forward, because this motion to vacate you needs think, to go. But do you think there's a rules package that doesn't include that that could get, you need the votes for that as well? This motion to vacate of one person disrupting the entire House uh, and holding everybody hostage, it needs to go. It is, it is not a workable situation. Kevin McCarthy did a phenomenal job as Speaker. And he was severely underestimated time and again uh, by the media, by the Democrats, and frankly, by Republicans. Uh, and he delivered on a lot. But you had a handful of people for petty personal reasons who decided that their uh, interests mattered more than the country. And I think it's disgusting. Uh, and I think uh, the rules need to be uh, re-looked at. Do you think that your preference currently unstated for the next Speaker of the House can get 218 votes or can get the majority. I'm going to fight like heck to get that person to do it because I think uh, this country needs to move in a different direction. But you fought we for are, McCarthy, we are, too. I did. He's and, gone. And I think that's and my, you know what? 
It's not an indictment of you. I'm just trying to figure oh. out the dynamics of your conference. Look, Kevin, Kevin McCarthy earned the speakership. He earned my support. He earned the support of the overwhelming majority of our conference. He's a good man who fought for this country, who did the right thing. The reason he's removed is because he, he did the right thing by keeping government open. Think about how absurd that is. Think about what a, what a disgrace that is, that he would be removed from uh, the speakership because he did not want to allow government to shut down. Uh, that's where we are in our country right now. And I think the question moving forward is, how do we fight for conservative principles, conservative ideas, uh, but understand the reality? Uh, I have people in my conference who didn't seem to grasp the fact that we're in a divided government, that seriously thought that if we just yelled loud enough that we want $1.471 trillion in discretionary spending, that whew, it'll happen. It's a joke. But those people are still in your conference, and they have still made clear that that top-line level is what they want. I, I guess my broader question as I've watched this all play out has been, this isn't, nothing's going to change. I think it's incumbent on the conference to change it, not any one individual. Uh, and I've been saying that for weeks, that the conference needed to push back forcefully. This was not on the speaker alone to do it. Um, and I think it's important now that we're in this situation, um, whoever the next speaker is, is going to have to to deal with this head on. Uh, and I think as far as I'm concerned, for my vote, that's going to matter. You're a majority maker. You're the reason why Kevin McCarthy got to be Speaker of the House with his slim majority. Um, what do you tell constituents back home in terms of what you guys are accomplishing, how governance is going right now? Look. In New York, we have one party rule. Uh, Democrats have created an absolute mess. We have an affordability crisis. We have a crisis at our southern border, uh, a migrant crisis that Eric Adams says is destroying New York City, that Kathy Hochul just the other day said, there's no more room at the inn. We need to stop the influx at the border. The American people elected a Republican majority because of the ideas, because of the policies, because the democratic policies have failed miserably. So what we need to do is show that we are worthy of that trust and support, show that we can actually govern. Have it you? means we have to, uh, up, up until uh, this week, yes. And I think the, the American people expect us to very quickly choose a speaker and get back to work. They're not interested in, in the petty uh, partisan divide. They're not interested in the internal grievances. They're interested in us advancing the ball forward. We have a lot of work to do between now and November 17th to reduce spending in this country. Joe Biden increased spending by $5 trillion in two years. It is unsustainable. You look at a state like New York, my home state, $9 billion budget deficit next year, $13 billion the year after, a $36 billion revenue shortfall. This is unsustainable across the country. And if we don't get serious about reining in spending, if we don't deal with the migrant crisis at our southern border and stop the open border policies, the sanctuary city policies, the, the right to shelter that somehow is being interpreted to mean that if you're a migrant, you automatically get free housing, free health care, free education, all at taxpayer expense. Uh, this is absurdity uh, and it needs to stop. And we need to get serious about these challenges. And it's worth noting, uh, you guys also weren't able to coalesce behind a border bill that had been attached to the CR because of where your conference is. One of the many challenges that you guys have going forward. Congressman Mike Lawler, appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.
All right, we are also going to speak to one of the eight Republicans who voted to oust Speaker McCarthy. Congressman Tim Burchett will join us in minutes. Plus this. Hey, Donald, you coming back tomorrow? I'll be back tomorrow. Good day. It's true. The former president will be back in a New York City courtroom for day three of his civil fraud trial. We're going to tell you why the judge rebuked him and handed down a gag order. Stay with us. More CNN This Morning to come after the break. Welcome back. It is a beautiful sunny morning here in the nation's capital, but things are not functioning. We are coming to you live from Washington, where there is no Speaker of the House for the first time in history, and the Republican Party has no clear leader here. John Harris from Politico this morning writing, quote, the House GOP now resembles a failed state. The party elects leaders with no capacity to lead members who have no interest in being led. What was the guy's name again? No need to commit it to memory. That's what Google is for. Harsh, but fairly true. The Wall Street Journal editorial board writes, quote, a band of eight Republicans succeeded in ousting Kevin McCarthy as House Speaker on Tuesday, and we trust they're happy. They now have the chaos they wanted, though it isn't clear what else they hope to achieve. Their clever plan seems to be to cut off their own heads. Here with us now for reaction, their thoughts, are reporting CNN congressional correspondent Lauren Fox is with us, CNN political analyst Laura Brown-Lopez, and former press advisor to former Speaker John Boehner, Maura Gillespie. Thank you all for being here. What more? let's start with you. So it, it went the whole way this time. But Boehner faced a similar moment. It wasn't brought to the floor, right? Right. But he, he faced a rebellion. Mm-hmm. He lasted a couple of months and then leaves. Your thoughts as we watch this going full force today and where it leaves us. I mean, you, you worked for him, right? You believe, are a conservative who believes in the cause, and now there is no Speaker of the House. It's a really different situation when John Boehner was retiring. Uh, he had wanted to retire before uh, that all happened in 2015, when Eric Kanner lost his primary to David Bratt. Boehner realized he had to stick around for a little longer, but he had always intended to retire by the end of the year. So it is a little bit different. But Democrats were not here when the vote was called, uh, back when Boehner was there, because it, they were up for Mario Cuomo's funeral. So it's a bit different situation, right? But it is hard for me to sit here and not think about the times I spent walking up to this building with awe and reverence and appreciation for this building. Uh, it makes me really question where we are right now uh, in terms of our our government, our, our politics. I mean, I thought January 6th was rock bottom. This may be rock bottom. We had a congressman who is accused of sleeping with a minor who is under ethics investigations, just made history last night by ousting the speaker of his own party with the help of Democrats. And he ran to the cameras to go fundraise off of it, has no plan. And I think we kind of need to look at that situation and be like, where are we now? Where do we go from here? We have got a President Trump who is four times indicted, 91 federal counts against him. and. He's running for a re-election another time uh, against a, a president who is, quite frankly, like struggling just to get one foot in front of the other. Like, how is this where we are right now in, in Congress? I can't help but think back to my time with Boehner and wish that we had some adults in the room because this feels like rock bottom. But Laura, I think what's interesting, the adults aren't here anymore, if you want to use kind of your framing of things, because of exactly what actually came to fruition yesterday. You know, the cover of the book, The Young Gods, Eric yeah. Cantor lost a primary, Boehner or Boehner was not a young gun. Um, uh, uh, Paul Ryan decided to leave because he was just kind of over it. Uh, and Kevin McCarthy now has been deposed as well. The entire like generation of new republicanism that was supposed to take over the mantle is gone. 
and what they've been replaced with. The house is always a messy institution, but this is a different level. It is a different level. And, uh, you know, part of why they're gone, Paul Ryan also wasn't really able to manage this growing extreme faction within the House GOP, and Boehner wasn't either. And so that's why Paul Ryan is gone. You know, he, he now talks about that he doesn't always agree with the direction that his party is headed in. He doesn't support the standard bearer, Donald Trump, I would prefer someone else be at the top of the, the presidential ticket. Um, but when push comes to shove, you know, Kevin McCarthy decided to time and time again make decisions that emboldened that hard right faction and decided to um, make it so they could only have one person bring the motion to vacate. And even, you know, yesterday during his meeting with the caucus or the conference, when he decided to say, I'm not going to run for speaker again, the fact that he said, I'm not going to sell my soul to the Democrats pretty much shows that he was far more willing to time and again do what the extreme Republicans wanted versus even just negotiate a little bit with Democrats to stay in the speakership. You know, one thing that strikes me is that the eight people who voted to oust Kevin McCarthy were the same people who on Friday when the speaker was offering them and not, you know, every single member, but it's generally the same group of people who, when the speaker was offering them this short-term spending bill with 30% cuts over domestic Great. spending areas, didn't and border take, security didn't take it. Border right. security. And I no could, Ukraine. I could not have thought of right. a more conservative short-term spending bill. They said no to it. What other choice does the speaker have? And his allies had been arguing he wanted to keep the government open. He wasn't willing to shut down the government, knowing that to get out of a shutdown, he was going to just have to have a short-term spending bill that the chamber across the way, the United States Senate, was going to pick up and take. Well, we talked about this before, but for people who are just joining us, what do they need to know this morning about what this now means? There's, for the first time in American history, no Speaker of the House. They're gone for a week now, and they're going to come back and maybe figure it out. What does that mean if there is a crisis in this country, if there is a disaster in terms of how paralyzed this is? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple things we know and a lot of things we don't. One of the things we know is that Patrick McHenry, who is the interim speaker at the moment, he has very limited power. Basically, he can run a speaker's race. That That's is it. what he can do on the floor of the House. They can't pass legislation. They can't avoid a government shutdown. There are some open questions about how committees function, if they can function. Technically, they think the answer is no, they cannot. But then you had people like Comer saying yesterday that he wants to continue fighting yeah, to investigate for the impeachment inquiry. So there's a lot of unanswered questions. And it's a very strange spot to be in, having covered this institution for nearly a decade now, and not know the answer to every single question. But I think there's a lot of parliamentarian... Don't mean to put you on the spot. No, there's a not lot of parliamentarian yes. experts inside this building who are going to be looking through their notes to understand whether or not they can do X, Y, or Z, because we are in an unprecedented moment. We are in a historic place right now. And I just think it bears reminding the American people that there's a lot of smart people here, but we don't know what's going to happen next. Yeah, it was our, our institution fact wizard, Kristen Wilson, who was sending over that McHenry's technically not in the line of succession right now right. because he's right. pro tem, that it, he can't even adjourn the House without Senate consent if it's for more than three days. It's a very weird period. More, what do they want? Right? Lauren makes, I think, the most critical point here. They offered a top line that was a dramatic 30% cut to a CR yeah. and a dramatically conservative border security bill and no Ukraine aid. 
and they voted against, they, they, they wouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. What do these eight lawmakers want? What are their principles? What are their driving forces from conservative side? They want to have something to fight against. That's what they know how to do. It's what the MAGA Republicans have done uh, before they were MAGA Republicans, right? We were the Republican Study Committee when John Boehner was in the speakership. They moved the goalpost. He gives them what they want, they move the goalpost because it doesn't serve their purpose. They don't actually have a plan. If they were put in charge, if they were given real leadership positions, they would not know the first thing to, to do with themselves. So it's easier to fight the fight and fight the man and, and fundraise off of that, which you're seeing. Nancy Mace had a, her whole statement with a huge fundraising email. Matt Gates has been fundraising all weekend with his media plans. Nancy and Mace, I don't know if we have that sound or we might not have time, but Nancy Mace also had very specific reasons as to why she voted the way she yes. did. She said Kevin McCarthy did not follow through on her rape kit bill, et cetera, things that she had been promised. With a big donate now. I'm donate aware she fundraised off it. I'm just wanted thing. to point but, out why she said. I think said, people are frustrated that they're not getting anything done because everyone is coming into Congress thinking that if I don't get my way 100% of the time, I'm not going for it. That's not what we send members of Congress to go do. They have to work across the aisle. They have to work with their fellow members and and to, to continue to vote for people and put people in power that are solely there for themselves and looking out for number one and that's it. Shame on us. We need to vote in our primaries. We need to get involved because this is what we are left with, an empty speaker's office. Just so interesting because I think about what our kids come home, my son comes home from kindergarten and talks about having to work out fights with his, how the teacher tells him to figure it out together, compromise. Mm -hmm. That's compromise. You know, and, kindergarten. Uh, yeah, compromise. We got to go, guys. Thank you very, very much. Republican Congressman Tim Burchett voting to oust Kevin McCarthy from his speakership, saying McCarthy, quote, belittled his faith. In a phone conversation the two of them had, McCarthy addressed that last night. I personally like Tim Burchett, and I called Tim Burchett because I read his quote. And Tim Burchett's a friend of mine, which I'm kind of shocked by this. Congressman Tim Burchett here with us live next. Well, welcome back. We are live outside of the Capitol on a beautiful morning here in Washington, but the House is paralyzed, plunged into chaos. Congressman Kevin McCarthy now ousted as House Speaker, a first in American history. Eight of his fellow Republicans, including Congressman Tim Burchett, decided it was time for him to go. Burchett said he ultimately voted against McCarthy after the Speaker, former Speaker, mocked his decision to pray over whether to oust him. Listen. He just basically uh, said something that I thought belittled me and my belief system. And, you know, I, that, that pretty much sealed it with me right there. I thought that showed the character of the man. I said to him during the conversation, I wish you hadn't waited until right now to call me. Well, McCarthy addressed Burchett's claims during a news conference last night. Here's that. I personally like Tim Burchett, and I called Tim Burchett because I read his quote. And Tim Burchett's a friend of mine which I'm kind of shocked by this. And Tim Burchett, in his quote, said, he's leaning towards no, he's on CNN, but I'm going to pray about it. So I pick up the phone and call him, because I didn't think he was already there. I said, Tim, um, I read your quote. You said you're going to pray about it. I want to talk to you about it. And somehow he construes that, I'm a Christian. I'm not going to offend somebody. I simply read his quote back. I thought there was still an opening, and I wanted to talk to him about it. He never mentioned anything when we were communicating like that. Well, Congressman Tim Burchett joins us now. We appreciate you being here. Um, all right, so now you've heard McCarthy saying his version of what happened on the call. As you hear that, would that have changed your vote, sir? Probably not. I, you know, I, heck, I've got a recording of what was said. It was. Oh, you, it, re it, you recorded it, it? It was just, but it was between us. And, um, you know, and, and 
but the conversation went on in a, in a belittling tone. It was um, everything I, I suggested. I said, well, we, you know, you told us you were going to bring term limits up. And he said, well, that went in committee. And then he, I said, we were out six weeks. We were out, you know, September 30th comes around every time. This, basically, you know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing everything. And it was always, well, that was, that was uh, you know, Scalise or that was somebody else or whatever. And, I, you know, we need leadership. I don't need excuses. We're, we're $33 trillion in debt. We take in $5 trillion. We spend $7 trillion. We continue with these continued resolutions. And every, every, and then we pass one for 30 days. And then they told me the last time, they said, well, let's pass this 30-day one so we won't pass another one. And I said, you know, that's like telling a heroin addict, I'm going to give you heroin to get you off of heroin. It doesn't work that way. We are spending our great-grandchildren's money. We're $33 trillion in debt. And these excuses just... You know, I, I just, we need a strong leader, and, and I felt like we weren't getting that. And that was just the, I guess, that, that just pushed me over the edge, uh, the, what I felt like was, was condescending uh, of what I was saying. I, I pray about it. I do. I, I pray about everything because God, God's done me pretty, he's been pretty good to me. He's given me a wonderful, wonderful wife and a daughter, and, and, um, and I'm, I'm incredibly blessed. There's not a lot of Tim Burchett's in Congress. Um, I don't come from money. I'm not a sports star. I'm not a Navy SEAL. I'm not, you know, I'm just a, a guy that just got lucky, I guess, in life. But I, but I do pray about things. And so, um, you know, I, I didn't take that decision lightly. I, I, I prayed about it uh, uh, since it started coming up. And I just asked God to show me what to do. And I really had two decisions to make. I had to go, am I going to go with my friend Kevin McCarthy, who I felt like hasn't followed through with a lot of things that he said he was going to do, or am I going to trust my conscience? And ultimately, my conscience won out, and that's how I voted. In terms of the path forward, I want to get to that in a second, but just do you always record phone calls with the Speaker of the House? No, no, I don't. It was just Why one did of you those, choose this one? It was just one of those random things, because I was in the middle of a meeting with other people, and um, and I just said, let's record it. And so I've got it just just in case I needed it. And because a lot of times when you're talking to somebody, you, you have trouble remembering exactly what you said, especially in a, in a, when you're in a lot of pressure and um, and it's legal. And so it was just one of those things I did. And and uh, I, and I'm glad I did. I'm not going to do anything with it. That's what I was going to ask. You plan on sharing? No, 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 I wasn't doing that. It was for my personal benefit so I could go back and listen. If I made a commitment or if I said something out of line, I'd want to know. Um, in terms of the path forward, you know, you were talking about the, kind of the, the two options that you were praying over, trying to figure out which way to go. The option you chose doesn't have an end game or an outcome explicitly right now. Well, it, what I, should that be? Who yeah, should that be? I think we're gonna we're gonna see that. But the good thing about it is we have a very deep bench. You know, we've got Roger Williams out of Texas, um, Jody Arrington out of Texas, uh, Elise Stefanik, Tom Emmert, my buddy Steve Scalise, so I know is calling around folks who I've talked to, um, Mark Green out of Tennessee. There, our bench is so deep, and I feel like we've got a lot of leaders that, that are willing to step up, and now they are. And, and, and honestly, since we made that vote, and I know folks are getting on the news and railing on me and all these other folks, but you know, I just left the gym, and I, I've, I've talked to several people this morning alone who did not vote with us, but have conceded that they probably should have and are glad that they did. They're glad that what we did because they, they think we need to make a change. I want to give you a chance to respond. We just had Republican Congressman, your colleague, uh, Mike Lawler on New York. Here's New what York. he said about 
the eight who voted to oust McCarthy, so that would include you. Here he was. They need to lose their committee assignments, uh, and there needs to be consideration as to whether or not they're even part of the conference. You had a handful of people for petty personal reasons who decided that their uh, interests mattered more than the country. And I think it's disgusting. Uh, and I think uh, the rules need to be uh, relooked at. He also said that you guys need to be held accountable. Sure, what do you well, say? I represent my district, and I'm voting the way my district would like me to do. You're also um, part of the body. I'm also part of the body, but when it's all over with, Lyndon Johnson said, if you want a friend in Washington, get a dog. I have three of them. They're all at home, Charlie, Buzz, and Roscoe, but they're not up here. Um, and Mike, is, he's, from, he's from New York, and... He has a different set of values than I do. He's my friend and he has his right to his opinion. But th the truth is, is, you know, they, they did the same thing to um, Marjorie Taylor Greene. It sure didn't hurt her much. And I just, that, that's, um, that's, there's a lot of angry people, but I, I would submit to you, when we get this, when we get a um, new leadership in, we're gonna be just fine. When's uh, it? Go ahead. No, no, I was just getting- Interested in when it, that's gonna be, yeah, sir. Tuesday, Tuesday we'll have, um, Orientation, not orientation. They're going to have the, uh, the speeches. It's kind of like student council, you know, going to give their speeches, and then. Um, but it's sort of like on the floor. By the time something gets to the floor, you know, it's already decided. Well, that's what I was going to ask. You said you'd spoken to Steve Scalise. Yeah. Uh, is he somebody you would prefer? What's his? Pitch I love at Steve this Scalise. Um, he's a great leader. He's a proven leader, and I believe folks would rally around him. And uh, but. As I told him at this time, I, I, I'm not going to commit to you. I want to hear what other people have to say. I, you know, it's it's just there might be some dark horse that gets in it that that that, that shows that we maybe that's that's the direction we need to know. But Steve would be an excellent choice, and that's the good thing about it. We have no shortage, but and a lot of these folks, you know, they 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 weren't they couldn't act because of their their positions, and now they are. And I think it's gonna it's gonna prove good for the it's gonna be great for the country actually because um, as my friend. You know, he said that uh, he got on to me, but we're $33 trillion in debt. We take in $5 trillion every year, and we spend $7 trillion, and that's conservative estimates. To me, that's not leadership. We've got to make some tough decisions. And when my friend AOC, and she is my friend, when she says we got a, we got a fiscal issue, I think that's time we could all get together and work on something, and I'm all for that. And, you know, and, and the 15 or so of us that were opposed to all this in the beginning, I asked for membership, to, leadership to meet with us. Nothing happened. Uh, this is the way Washington works. They cram something down your throat. They cram these continued resolutions because they, they've greased their special interest and the lobbyist, and that's why nothing happened. Nothing changes, and we get further and further in debt. I'm just calling it out. Tim Burchett, we appreciate your time. Thanks Busy time at me. that. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, former President Trump says he will be back in court today after a judge issued a gag order because some of Trump's social media posts also today, more than 75,000 healthcare workers from Kaiser Permanente are going on strike. What they're fighting for and how all of this could impact you, that is next. All right, so these are live pictures uh, of healthcare workers on the picket line in Virginia. Kaiser Permanente employees are beginning what is set to be the largest healthcare strike in U.S. history. More than 75,000 workers planning to join those picket lines for a three-day walkout. The strike includes nurses, radiology and x-ray technicians, ultrasound, sonographers, and hundreds of other physicians whose top concern 
costs are a staffing crisis. It is affecting the quality of patient care as well as pay increases. The healthcare system provides care for nearly 13 million people across those eight states you see on your screen, but their patients are not simply being abandoned. About 60% of the staffers are still working. We'll keep you posted on this significant strike. Also this morning, just a few hours, day three of former President Trump's civil fraud trial in New York City is set to resume, and Trump says he'll be back in court today after the judge imposed a gag order on him for attacking his clerk in a social media post Tuesday. Trump now says he's planning to testify at some point, but his longtime accountant will return to the stand. CNN's Brent Gengrass is live for us in New York outside the courthouse. With Brent, it looks like the court, like it takes a court-mandated order to keep Trump quiet. Do we feel like this is going to be sustainable over time? Uh, Phil, has it ever? <laughs> I don't really know. I mean, I, honestly, it's not all that surprising. Has it ever really kept him quiet? That's a great question. I don't know, but I can tell you this. Uh, so yesterday, when we returned from lunch and the courtroom reporters went inside, there was this big delay, and everybody was wondering what was going on. And then the judge went to the bench, and he essentially just issued this rebuke, staring straight at the defendant's table where the former president uh, was sitting, and basically was talking about this truth social post that Donald Trump had posted yesterday. And it was of the court clerk who sits right next to the judge. And it was a picture of her with Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. And in that post, the former president essentially said that she was Schumer's girlfriend without any evidence to back that up. And it's very unclear what the relationship of those two even is past that picture. So the, this was a bridge too far for the judge. And keep in mind the context here, this is a judge who not only is deciding the outcome of this case, but also someone who Trump has attacked personally to him. So again, this was just too much. And he basically said that this was despairing, disparaging. It was untrue. It personally identified his clerk, which he didn't like. He asked that the post be deleted, which it was, but he says it was also emailed to millions of people. And so that's why he issued this gag order. And he said, quote, personal attacks of any member of any court staff are unacceptable. Of, of my court staff are unacceptable, inappropriate, and I will not tolerate them. And he basically said, no longer, you cannot post anything, email anything about my court staff, or there are going to be some strict sanctions. What that means, it's still unclear. We know that the lawyers all met behind closed doors without press inside that courtroom. So it's still to be determined what exactly he meant by that. Uh, but certainly not mincing words on the bench there. Yeah, absolutely. Brent Ingress, day three. <laughs> Appreciate it. Thank you. So the bipartisan short-term spending bill that McCarthy got passed over the weekend did not include aid for Ukraine. It also ultimately led to his ouster, but with the speakership vacant, what does this all mean for the funding that is needed for Ukraine? We're going to be joined by the former defense secretary under President Trump, Mark Esper, is here. More CNN This Morning to come after the break. The historic vote to oust Kevin McCarthy from his speakership further complicates the outlook for Congress providing more aid to Ukraine. Right now, the House is adjourned until next week. No legislation can be passed until a new speaker is elected. And this leaves President Biden's request for an additional $24 billion of aid to Ukraine in limbo. It is estimated that Ukraine's current burn rate of weapons and munitions is nearly $2.5 billion a month. But U.S. aid, that money is rapidly running out with about $5 billion remaining in what is known as a presidential drawdown authority that allows the rapid dispatch of weapons from existing stocks. It's essentially about two months worth of money. Joining us now to talk about that a lot more is Mark Esper. He served as a defense secretary under President Trump. Secretary Esper, it's good to have you. Thank you very much 
for being here. Good morning. There's not even a guarantee, by the way, that they come back in a, in a little under a week and elect a speaker mid next week, end of next week, right? And so the question to you is, what do you believe this will mean for the already difficult task of trying to get the House to pass more Ukraine aid? Right. Well, first, before we look forward, let's look backward a few days. And I think things look a lot better if you're Vladimir Putin sitting in Moscow. I mean, he sees a U.S. government that's dysfunctional right now that uh, can't provide the aid that uh, Ukraine needs. And of course, if U.S. aid to Ukraine falls, we're like the we're like the big Jenga block at the bottom of the tower. You pull that out and a lot of other Western aid risks uh, being lost as well. And then, of course, you have a pro a pro-Russian government in Kosovo, in uh, Serbia, I'm sorry, massing forces on the Kosovo border where their NATO troops are. You have a grain dispute between Poland and Ukraine. I mean, it just seems like the West is fracturing. So that's concern number one. And then, as you rightly said, if we look a few weeks ahead, will the Congress support the president's request for $24 billion? Yes, based on the numbers you said, and U.S. support is actually a little bit less than $2 billion a month. We could hold out for a, for a few months. But uh, who is picked next to be speaker will make a big difference in what happens with regard to Ukraine funding going forward. Yeah. Where do you think the gap has been in terms of uh, there is a majority in both the House and the Senate? that support more funding for Ukraine. That is unquestionably the case. That's, I think, why your point about who the next speaker is being important is so critical. But there has been a shift away from support amongst the American public, certainly amongst members of the Republican Party. Why? Is it just exhaustion? Is it that people don't have the bandwidth to, to continue it? What's your sense of why this has happened? Well, I think, Phil, over the last couple of months, a few months, if you look at successive votes on uh, Ukrainian aid, you'll see that an increasing number of Republicans in the House are opposing it. And yep. that's not a good trend line. Uh, why is that? Look, I think a lot of it's driven by President Trump and this isolationist strain in the, in the far right wing of the party that says uh, too, too much money going abroad. We should focus on things at home. We should focus on the border. And look, we, we should be focusing on the border. I think the, the, the time has come where even Democrats agree that we need border security. So, But the two aren't mutually exclusive. But I do think there is that isolationist strain in the Republican Party, the far right, that is on the rise, uh, driven by the presidential uh, nomination process as well, uh, that's pulling people that way. And of course, uh, if, if, if uh, Trump goes that way, he pulls a lot of other members with him. He pulls his uh, diehard supporters with him as well. And that's what's pulling us in that direction. I, I do want to ask you about this fascinating terrifying piece in many respects in the New York Times this morning that you're all over uh, because you talked in your book about this. And it, it, the headline is Trump wanted to fire missiles at Mexico. Now the GOP wants to send troops. In your book, you uh, recount a conversation you had with former President Trump where you say that he asked you about firing Patriot missiles into Mexico to take on the cartels and then trying to blame another country. Needless to say, you pushed back vehemently against that. But as you read this piece in The Times, it says, quote, if Mr. Trump returns to the White House in 2025, he has vowed to push for the designations and to deploy special ops troops and naval forces to, as he puts it, declare war on the cartels. It seems we've heard what DeSantis said in that CBS interview about what, what he would do as president. What, what is your take on all of this from increasingly loud voices in your party? 
Well, look, I, I think if you look what's what was animating Trump at the time and, and many now is the fact that fentanyl continues to cross the border from the south. It's killing 100,000 Americans a year. It's terrible. And, and look, uh, President Trump was concerned about that, as a, a lot of people are. I did not think the right solution was attacking or attacking cartels in a neighboring country uh, whose support we need, by the way, to deal not just with the drugs, but with uh, illegal immigration and a number of other things. So I, I understand the sentiment, but I don't think that's the right approach. I think, my view, we have a very good model, and I, I explained this at, time, at times to folks in the party, and that was Plan Colombia that we did in the early 2000s with the country of Colombia, where uh, DOD played a supporting role, providing helicopters, other aviation, special forces doing training, and together working with the Colombian government, we really made a, a big dent into not just a guerrilla movement down there, but also the drug trade. And to me, that's the model to go. I, I, I've seen varying uh, expressions of this uh, need or want to use the military. Some have spoken more about what I'm describing. Others have taken a more aggressive approach like President Trump. But I think we need to look at the big picture. And the fact is mm. we need Mexico's, Mexico's cooperation. We need to work with them, uh, not around them. All right, Mark Esper, we appreciate your time, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Well, even though a fellow Republican initiated the move to oust him, former Speaker Kevin McCarthy is blaming Democrats, at least in part, for losing his leadership post. I think today was a political decision by the Democrats. And I think, I think the things they have done in the past hurt the institution. The number two Democrat in the House, Congressman Catherine Clark, joins us next. We're going to ask her where the House goes from here. Stay with us. unprecedented moment in the history of the United States. The office of Speaker of the House is hereby declared vacant. The conversations with the former president leave me great confidence that I'm doing the right thing. The political decision by the Democrats. My fear is the institution fell today. When the speaker makes a promise to either side of the aisle, they ought to keep it. An election is expected next week. The jockey for the position, though, is already underway. He graciously decided not to run again. I think that's a wise decision. We lose all the floor time to get the appropriations bills passed. The White House is trying to project an image of calm, a contrast with the chaos on Capitol Hill. When people say that Washington is broken, it's because of things like this. The House is paralyzed, and they cannot conduct any business until they elect a new speaker. Good morning, everyone. Happy to be joining you from the nation's capital. It's a beautiful day, but the House is paralyzed. This morning, the House is paralyzed after this Republican revolt, and we're seeing no speaker for the first time in American history. And I think it's important to step back. The House is often paralyzed about lots of different things. In part, but that's we the, actually that's the really, beauty really... of the institution. It's a little bit messy. It's representative of the entire country. We have never seen this before in the history of the country. One motion to vacate has ever gotten up for a vote. Joe Cannon, the building across the street from us, was named after him. He won that easily. McCarthy, not so much. Not so much at all. Congress will not be able to do its job for you, the American people, right? You pay them to come here, do their job. They cannot do it in the House right now. And by the way, we're just weeks away from a potential government shutdown. That has left House Republicans scrambling to find a replacement for McCarthy. Just keep in mind, it was just eight members led by Congressman Matt Gates who were able to topple him. Right now, it is a wide open race to replace him. Some of the names emerging include Jim Jordan, Majority Leader Steve Scalise. Minutes ago, Congressman Mike Lawler told us he wants a speaker who will confront the Republican rebels head on. I think there needs to be a reckoning 
uh, within the conference. Uh, there needs to be accountability uh, for the eight individuals who selfishly upended our House majority. I want to know from any potential speaker how they intend to deal with those eight. Democratic Congressman Pat Ryan also joined us this morning, called on Republicans to cross the aisle to make their own leader, Hakeem Jeffries, speaker. What we've been doing has not worked. I'm calling on five Republicans to unify with us as Democrats, support Hakeem Jeffries, and let's move the country forward. Let's deliver economic relief. Let's defend democracy. Let's protect reproductive freedom. That is what people in my district, that's what people across the country want. Let's bring in our congressional correspondent, Lauren Fox, who joins us now with much more. Phil's right, the House is often paralyzed, but this has never happened before. And it's going to be at least a week until there's another speaker. What does that mean for people at home? Yeah, I mean, the timeline right now is really uncertain. Lawmakers are going back home, but there is already jockeying happening, happening in order to try and fill this vacancy. Now, one of the reasons that they didn't start this process today is they probably would have had to go several rounds, given the fact that there was no clear consensus candidate to take over after House Speaker Kevin McCarthy said he was not going to run again. Does that start to change in a week's time? You're already starting to see behind the scenes Republicans trying to gauge support for whether or not they should run for speaker. Top of that list, of course, is Majority Leader Steve Scalise. He is already trying to reach out to allies, trying to understand whether there is a path for him. Obviously, he's already in leadership. He has a sophisticated team who's done this before. He knows his way to win a leadership race. He's probably considered the front runner at this moment. There's also, of course, though, questions about Kevin Hearn, who's the leader of the Republican Study Committee, and Jim Jordan, who has left that door open to potentially running for speaker. I'm told this morning that Kevin Hearn is trying to understand whether or not there's going to be a lane for him, given the fact that he's sort of in between Scalise, who's in leadership, and someone like Jordan, who has the backing of members of the House Freedom Caucus in the past. Can I just ask you quickly the basic functions of this place? Mm -hmm. Does anybody know what happens here, given we've never seen this before? Yeah, I mean, that is one of the key questions. Right now, we know nothing can happen on the floor. There's some unanswered questions about what can happen in committees. The understanding that I have is that nothing can continue happening right now. But then you had people like Comer last night saying he wants to continue trying to get information for his impeachment inquiry. So I think that right now we are in uncharted territory. We have unanswered questions. And a lot of smart people in the building behind you are trying to figure out the answers right we now. We usually have the answers for everything. Exactly. And this time they don't. Lauren Fox, thank you. Appreciate it very much. Well, Democrats played a major role in kicking Kevin McCarthy out of speakership, something he talked about a lot yesterday after it happened. Listen. I think today was a political decision by the Democrats. And I think, I think the things they have done in the past hurt the institution. My fear is the institution fell today. Because you can't do the job if eight people, you have 94% of, or 96% of your entire conference, but eight people can partner with the whole other side, how do you govern? Joining us now, the number two House Democrat, Catherine Clark of Massachusetts. It's nice to have you. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, you described Republican infighting as full-scale civil war. Is what happened maybe good for Democrats politically, but bad for America? 
the whole speakership of Kevin McCarthy has been bad for America because he continues to choose extremism, to attack Social Security, um, to put abortion riders into every bill that comes before us, to not focus on lowering costs. So his whole speakership was defined by unprincipled catering to the most extreme factions no of, of his party. House this morning and no speaker for at least a week. Good for America. You it, guys literally can't do your job. It is absolutely not. And the seeds of the destruction of this speakership were planted by Kevin McCarthy when he created the rules around this motion to vacate himself and gave that authority to extremism. Listen, we hope more than anything that the lesson the GOP will take out of this is that bipartisanship is not a dirty word. Let's put the American people first again in the House of Representatives. Okay, so talking about bipartisanship, Lauren, our colleague, just laid out some of the names that are out there. Steve Scalise looks like the top of the list for many folks right now. Uh, Jim Jordan, maybe Kevin Hearn. Uh, are any of those names more pal palatable to you as speaker than Kevin McCarthy? We're clear who our leaders I, should I understand be. you want Hakeem, Hakeem Jeffries, Jeffries, but I'm asking you about the reality of these three right now. You know, what we want is them to put forward a speaker who wants to do the job, not just hold the job. All right, so let's job. say, Steve, let's play this out. Steve, Steve, if Steve Scalise wants to do it, making calls now, if that is that someone who you think is more palatable to you than a McCarthy? Uh, you know, we we stand ready to work with a speaker who is going to put the American people first. Look, look what we did in the 117th with the exact same thin majority infrastructure bill with bipartisan support, bringing manufacturing back, lowering the costs of health care, gun safety legislation, protecting the freedom of, and right to an abortion. That's what we were able to do. So where is that leadership? And this catering to extremism, we'll see who they put up. But we know that Hakeem Jeffries embodies what the American you, people are looking for from us in our house. Before I move on, do you really believe there are five Republicans who will agree with you on that and vote that way? I think we're clear-eyed that they have the majority and that they will have a Republican speaker. Okay. But I am not going to sit here and speculate on who is going to come forward, but we are here waiting to do the work of the American people. And we hope that they put someone forward who you, will. You said something interesting. It was September 22nd, you spoke to Politico. And at that point, you seemed open to some concessions from McCarthy that may, maybe would have led to Democrats bailing him out. You talked about more disaster aid. You talked about support for Ukraine. Um, there was a lot of talk about you know the, the impeachment uh, proceedings uh, and inquiry into Biden. Were you open to, as Democrats, backing him here if you had gotten some of those concessions? So let me be clear. Those were never a term sheet or a list of demands. Those are the fundamental reasons why we so distrust Kevin McCarthy and why we are looking for this civil war, this chaos going on within their own party to end and move forward to get back to work. I mean, you just look at what Kevin McCarthy did back in May. We had an agreement 
that would have restored the dramatic cuts they wanted to make to climate action, to our veterans' health care. I mean, they had a scorched earth approach to our budget. We set budget agreements, bipartisan vote to approve it. Kevin McCarthy just rolled back, again, catering to the most extremists, and they are the ones who took away his speakership. Uh, we got to go. I just wonder when you believe you can tell the American people watching there will be a Speaker of the House so that you can proceed with your business. We are ready. We have our candidate, and we hope that our Republican colleagues end this chaos and get back to the work that we were sent here to do. Congresswoman Catherine Clark, thank you for your time for thank being you. here in person this morning. We appreciate it. Phil. Well, former President Trump has been a big supporter of both Kevin McCarthy and Matt Gates, but has avoided weighing in on that feud that ultimately led to McCarthy's ouster. Next, how Trump is reacting this morning. And also this morning, 75,000 Kaiser Permanente health workers will be on a three-day strike. Some in Virginia and D.C. have already begun. We'll show you what that could mean for patients in those medical systems. Stay with us. More CNN This Morning to come after the break. Well, this morning, former President Trump is preoccupied with his civil fraud trial in New York and is purposefully, at least at the moment, staying out of the Republican revolt that cost Kevin McCarthy his job as House Speaker. That, of course, is in very stark contrast to Trump's efforts in January to aid McCarthy in becoming Speaker when he stepped in at the 11th hour and told Republican holdouts to stand down. Instead, this time, Trump merely asked last night, quote, why is it that Republicans are always fighting among themselves? Why aren't they fighting the radical left Democrats who are destroying our country, close quote. Why are they fighting? Why would there be intra-party battles, Poppy? <laughs> Don't ask me. With more about where things stand right now, both with the trial and the former president, live uh, from New York, outside of Trump Tower, Elena Treen. Elena, uh, do we expect the former president to get involved now that this is a very real race? Uh, well, it's so unclear, but you know the former president. Uh, I've covered him for years. Uh, I find it hard to believe that he won't you know, try to make what he wants known uh, soon. I wouldn't be surprised if today he's asked about it by reporters or asked over the weekend when he's campaigning in Iowa and offers some sort of vague response like he has so far. But listen, I mean, I spoke with many of Donald Trump's advisors over the last 24 hours, as well as some of his allies, and they told me that he purposely was not wanting to get involved. And the reason for that is he has allies on both sides sides of this fight. He has many people who have endorsed him, uh, who supported Kevin McCarthy, but he also is very close to Congressman Matt Gates, of course, who uh, has endorsed Donald Trump and also is a key surrogate on his campaign. And so uh, his aides tell me, Donald Trump's aides, that really he saw a little political upside to this. Now, I do have a quote from one Trump ally that I thought uh, is really, you know, captures how Donald Trump is thinking about this perfectly. They said, quote, he can't be sticking his neck out whenever there's a fight in the House, especially when he has people who endorse him both sides. Now, as you mentioned, Phil and Poppy, this is very different from January when McCarthy was going through those 15 rounds of votes in his effort to become speaker. At the 11th hour, uh, Donald Trump did call up. He called Matt Gates. He also called uh, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, other conservative holdouts, and uh, lobbied them, really, to stand down. And we saw that they ended up voting president, some of them. We saw Matt Gates do that. And it helped McCarthy become speaker. We saw no such effort yesterday. He, McCarthy really went without Donald Trump as an ally as he went into that speaker fight. And of course, as we saw, he was removed. One thing that he is talking about right now 
he's vehement that he will testify in this civil trial. He's talked a lot, by the way, in the past in different probes about saying, I'll do an interview, I'll testify. He hasn't. Do you think he will this time? Well, that's unclear, as you mentioned, Poppy. We've heard that from Donald Trump before. And, you know, talking to his team, he does want to testify. He does want to be heard, especially in this case, something that uh, means so much to him about his business, about his empire, something that he ran on in 2016, in 2020, and now again on 2024. And um, I think, you know, we'll have to see what his lawyers say. I, I, you know, in the past, when he said that he wants to testify, he kind of turns around and says, actually, I've listening to my advisors, my lawyers say uh, I shouldn't. And so I'm not going to. But I do think there is a real possibility that he does testify. We'll just have to see um, what he ultimately decides and from the advice of this counsel. Poppy Phil. All right. I'll let it train for us up in New York. Thank you. Let's bring in early 202 co-author and Washington Post Live anchor, Leon Caldwell, CNN anchor, Audie Cornish, and former deputy chief of staff to Adam Kinzinger. Also worked with John Boehner, Moore Gillespie, back with us. Good to have you all. Audie, taking a step back here, I, I was saying to, talking with our team last night, saying the politics matter, the process matters. The American people matter the most. And this is the first time in history where we have ever seen no Speaker of the House. They're going to be gone. This is going to be at least a week until we see one. And should there be a disaster, should there be an emergency, they're really handicapped. How should people think about this waking up this morning for them? Um, well, first, I don't want to alarm people in thinking that somehow no one's running the country right yeah. now. Like, White House, fine. Yeah. Senate, fine. This is a very particular problem on one side of this building. But it is not only Kevin McCarthy's problem, because in 40-something days, we're all going to be talking again about the continuing resolution and this idea of potentially shutting down the government, et cetera. And the same fissures and same battles that kicked this off in the first place, maybe you could say earlier this year, but I'd argue probably a decade ago, are going to come back only with a new leader. So the question is, who is that and what will they have to give away to make that happen? What's the answer to that? Because uh, the reason I ask is because I think Audie makes an excellent point in the sense of this has been building for three decades, mm -hmm. right? This is from the Newt Gingrich era and, and, to his credit, won the majority. First time in decades. However, this has just continued to evolve inside the party. What are the answers to those questions? Well, it's interesting because last night at Kevin McCarthy's sidewinding press conference that lasted nearly an hour after he was ousted I'm still in from it his, psychologically. Yeah, I'm still there. After from yeah. His, yes, after he was ousted. So he was asked multiple times in multiple different ways, how does the Republican Party move forward? And he would not talk about it as being a problem within the Republican Party. He would say it is a problem within just a small faction of people who call themselves conservatives who aren't really conservatives. But the reality is, is as you mentioned, Phil, and as you alluded to, Adi, is that this is not the first time this has happened to a Republican speaker. It's happened a few times to a Republican speaker who's unable to keep their job because of the divisiveness and the factions within the Republican Party and a faction of the party that doesn't want to govern. So maybe the next speaker knows how to do it, but it's a big, big job. And well, a what big lesson ask. would you have taken away, right? Like you worked for Boehner. Mm -hmm. So Boehner, Paul Ryan, Eric Cantor, maybe they didn't get voted out the same way, but make no mistake, they were essentially kicked out, right? Or ousted um, and, and pushed out of the party in a way. And so what lesson could you possibly have taken from the last decade that Kevin McCarthy himself wouldn't have learned? John Boehner had plans to retire and 
I know everyone likes to say that he was kicked out, but he had planned to retire. This just made it that much easier for him. He is a conservative, and he stands by his own principles and the, the, the conservative values. The party has shifted from him. He is not—his principles haven't shifted, uh, but the party's principles have. But you have. hear this over and over again, right? Yes. I mean, fundamentally, he did not have control of that caucus. He may have wanted to retire, and I, will say and I don't want to relitigate style, that yeah, period. But the, but the fact is, his legacy is, is not like— Wow, he really, you know, well, locked that in. What's interesting is, is that how the speakerships, they're all run differently, right? Pelosi runs it differently, Boehner ran it differently. And he wanted to give power back to the members. Now, some will say, How's was that, that going? Really, some will say exactly yeah. that. You know, his idea of wanting to give the power back to the members empowered them to not be happy if they didn't get 100% of the things they wanted. And we're hearing that from members, the eight that voted to oust Speaker McCarthy, that they didn't get everything they wanted, they're going to take him out. And is that how our politics is going to go from here on out? In the Republican Party, it may. Because there and was so, widespread criticism of by the Republican Party of Pelosi about how she ran the how house. She ran it too strict. Also, and she and had two very people. slim majorities, mm -hmm. right? Four yes. and five people, same thing. Still I, passed enough legislation to make her the boogeyman for another decade mm. for, to the Republicans. So, what? Why is the takeaway that this form of speakership, appeasing this person, that person, that person? is going to somehow get you to governance. I think it was more about, let's get power back to the conference and put it to the committees to put the bills together, as opposed to what Pelosi did was have a, a core group of people who wrote the bills. And again, you can argue the merits of which style is better. It was how we envisioned well, it. Well, one the chair Boehner, is empty. Correct. So, 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 but you know, Boehner, I, 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 that's I don't, the I don't disagree, card. but I don't yeah. disagree. And I think that Boehner had it going in with this, with, with a positive, let's be positive thinking, let's be a unified party. And you had those on the far right who were like, no, actually, I don't like this because I'm not getting anything I wanted. So they moved the goalpost. And, and we saw that time and time again. It was super frustrating. But John Boehner had relationships across the chamber, but also across the aisle. Are you saying that's different from McCarthy? Absolutely, I'm saying that's different. And all this comes down to is relationships. And there is a real problem in the Republican caucus and Republican conference and their ability to have relationships with Democrats. We've, for some reason in this country, we've decided to view each other as enemies as opposed to political opponents. So, and we're hurting ourselves with doing that. Let's talk about moving forward, Leanne. Yeah. The big names being floated, Steve Scalise, Jim Jordan, maybe Kevin Hearn, see if some others come forward. Does it matter if McCarthy backs any of them? Well, he was asked last night again if he was going to endorse someone, and he said, maybe. maybe. Um, I don't, I think that it could hurt you do. the next person, perhaps, especially with those eight who don't like Kevin McCarthy. There's a lot of people who don't like Kevin McCarthy. He, he has a lot of power within the 200 members of the conference, and maybe he can unite them, but it's not about 200. It's about finding 218 votes, and that's what the next person needs to be Speaker of the House. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, not a lot of, um, uh, uh, ideological differences between the people who are running, Steve Scalise, Tom Emmer, perhaps, uh, Jim Jordan, they're all conservatives, but people have their favorites and people, some trust some over others. Um, it is going to be a, uh, a week of a lot of jockeying. It's going to be a week of a lot of fundraising on who is able to also be a, fill the shoes of Kevin McCarthy. That's what I want to ask you about. Yeah. Do we have any, I think what people need to understand is this isn't just 
Kevin McCarthy in the building behind us. He is the financial reason that a lot of these guys are in their seats. Yeah. He's the financial reason that Republicans are in the majority right now. He's raising like 60, 70% of the party's money for the party committees. He is a massive fundraiser. Mm -hmm. He has an infrastructure of outside groups at the NRCC, his own personal team. What happens to all that? So Democrats called me yesterday and saying that they are going to be watching this very closely because McCarthy's fundraising network was not built overnight. He has been doing this for years and years and years with the ultimate goal of being speaker in the House and electing a Republican majority. And there is no one who comes close in the Republican conference right now. And so that is a huge concern among Republicans as well on their path to maintain the House majority. Kevin McCarthy said he was going to continue to work to elect House Republicans, but let's face it, he doesn't have the role and he no longer has the incentive to do what he was doing. That's fascinating that mm -hmm. Democrats were calling you about that. Mm -hmm. Leanne, thank you very much. Everyone stick around. We appreciate it. Well, also this morning, a mass shooting at Morgan State University during homecoming week. Five people shot, all but one of them students. We're going to be live on campus as police continue to hunt for the gunman. Also, new strike this morning. Thousands of healthcare workers just walking off the job. What they want, what it means for patient care. That's ahead. The offers that they presented us so far haven't um, even met us halfway to what we're asking for. Kaiser executives can afford to hire more help, but um, they don't want to. Well, this morning, a manhunt is underway in Baltimore after another mass shooting on an American college campus. Police say five people, four of them students, are injured after last night's shooting at Morgan State University. It happened as students were attending events during homecoming week. Morgan State. We got several shots, uh, right across the North Sea Station at, uh, Third Grid Marshall. All right, shots heard, shots heard. Let's get straight to CNN's Gabe Cohen live on the campus of Morgan State. Gabe, classes have been canceled today, but so far no arrests have been made. What more do we know? Yeah, Phil, the search for suspects continues this morning. Baltimore police have not said at this point if they have any idea who did this or what the motive would have been. Now, fortunately, we can tell you that all five of the young people who are wounded in the shooting, including four Morgan State students, are all expected to survive. There were no life-threatening injuries. But the scene here was frantic last night as this all unfolded around 9.30. Uh, look, this is homecoming week. It is supposed to be a joyous time at Morgan State. The students were just coming out of a huge event that crowned Mr. and Miss Morgan State University. It was a big event that draws alum, families, uh, and that is when shots rang out outside of a campus building. Police on patrol in the area raced in. They found those wounded students, and that is when the frantic search, the urgent search for a shooter unfolded. A SWAT team combing through buildings, going room to room searching as students were told to shelter in place for hours, although that search at this hour has turned up very little. And it is a quiet morning here on the campus. Classes are canceled uh, as an emergency meeting is taking place in the coming hours. They'll discuss how to proceed with homecoming week. But look, this is a, a somber day as well because it is the third straight homecoming here at Morgan State that, is, at Morgan State that has been uh, marred by violence, by a shooting. The past two years, uh, shootings that each uh, injured one person. This one now injuring five people. Here's what Baltimore's mayor told us last night as this was unfolding. We are dealing with 
not just here in Baltimore, not just at Morgan State University, but across this country of the United States, a epidemic when it comes to guns and gun violence. Uh, we have to stop saying not one more. We need action now. When is enough going to be enough? And Phil, you hear sort of the national context there that we have seen so many high profile shootings on college campuses, one at Michigan State earlier this year, another at UNC Chapel Hill. There have been more than 500 mass shootings across the United States this year. They are uh, devastating statistics. And now for folks here in Baltimore, uh, they are uh, grieving, they are struggling and they're on edge waiting to find out if and when those shooters or shooter will be taken into custody. Yeah, understandably so. Gabe Cohen, please keep us posted. Thank you. Also this morning, Kaiser Permanente employees beginning what is said to be the largest health care strike in U.S. history. More than 75,000 workers planning to join the picket lines for a three-day walkout at hundreds of locations across the country. They say this is about critical staffing shortages that is affecting patient care. We have a, uh, a crisis inside, a staffing crisis uh, that affects us and uh, subsequently affects our patients. Some of the people out here on strike today are, are optometrists, and um, they're looking. Their patients are looking at three months to get an appointment because they are so short-staffed. CNN's Meg Terrell joins us now with more. I mean, they were hoping they could get to the point where they averted this, but what's interesting about this strike, I think, is that yes, they want pay increases and other things, but also they are saying we're so short-staffed, it's not safe for patients. Yeah, Poppy, that's something we've been hearing. And, you know, Kaiser even just telling us just minutes ago that they worked through the night. They did come to uh, some agreements, but still, as you can see, the strikes have begun here on the East Coast, set to begin uh, really shortly on the West Coast, uh, where that will be the majority of where we see these uh, workers striking. You know, uh, Kaiser Permanente serves almost 13 million people across the United States in eight states and Washington, D.C. The strikes are happening in five states and D.C., and you saw it there already with the optometrists in Virginia uh, this morning. It's about 35 to 40 percent of the workforce those 75,000 healthcare employees represent. So that means there still will be some employees working. This does not include doctors. Uh, but the list of professions that this affects could show that it's going to be really disruptive potentially to patient care. And this is including folks like uh, certain nurses, people who work in the emergency departments, people who do imaging, respiratory therapists, x-ray technicians, optometrists behavioral health workers, people who work in pharmacies, phlebotomists, those are folks taking blood, uh, and housekeepers and people answering the phone. So you can just see how this could be potentially quite disruptive, guys. And do we have a sense from Kaiser Permanente in terms of what their idea of this, the disruptions could be if this continues to spread? Yeah, Phil. So what we've been hearing is that, uh, as you heard from the folks there on the line in Virginia, they are asking for higher pay and to address the staffing crisis that they say has just been exacerbated by the COVID pandemic. Uh, now, what we're hearing from Kaiser is that as the strikes begin, they have contingency plans in place. They are keeping hospitals uh, and medical offices open. They do say that some patients may have to reschedule non-urgent appointments. Uh, they will hear from Kaiser if that happens. They're also urging people to use a mail order pharmacies, because as we saw, pharmacists are included on that list of striking workers. Doesn't include doctors, but experts tell us, of course, the other folks are crucial to keeping healthcare systems running, so it could be disruptive. And it lasts through Saturday unless an agreement is reached, guys.
All right, Meg Terrell, keep us posted. This is a story we're going to follow. Thank you. Absolutely. All right, this just into CNN. It is new video of a deadly bus, bus crash. This happened in Italy. The surveillance video has just been released, and it shows the bus plunging over an overpass yesterday. At least 21 people were killed, 18 more injured. A spokesperson for the Italian Fire Brigade tells CNN the authorities have yet to find the cause of the crash. They are obviously looking into concerns that the electric-powered bus's battery may have caused a fire on board. Well, as Republicans grapple with the unprecedented ouster of a House speaker, how does President Biden play this moment? We're gonna have a live report from the White House coming up next. Well, this morning, President Biden trying to strike a business as usual tone. That's according to two officials to CNN amid the unprecedented chaos on Capitol Hill. Republicans, they are searching for a new House speaker following the historic ouster of Congressman Kevin McCarthy. Let's go to Arlette Signs at the White House. This kind of chaos to governance contrast is something the White House has been pushing towards. The campaign for Biden has as well. Uh, this is a pretty good picture of it to some degree, right? Yeah, and the mantra here at the White House may very well be keep calm and carry on today. President Biden will be focusing on some of his agenda items. Today's focus being providing further student debt relief, about $9 billion of additional uh, debt relief that's being approved today. But the White House has walked a very fine line when it comes to commenting on the actual events re relating to House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and this future speaker's race. The White House last night released a statement saying that they urge the House to act quickly to elect a new speaker, as there are many challenges that this country is still facing. But we will see if President Biden himself, when he's in front of reporters, might have any further thoughts to add. If you think back to when the House was going round for round with votes back in January, he said that that was a moment that was embarrassing for the country. But it comes as allies to the president argue that this highlights, this uh, sticking to the business as usual, trying to project this calm, it really highlights the contrast that the president has been trying to push uh, during the the campaign with some of the dysfunction that's occurring up on Capitol Hill. You've seen the White House trying to push that messaging uh, amid the government funding fight as well. But there are also some a few challenges that are facing this White House with the election of a new speaker. Uh, they need to get the government funded in the next six weeks. There is also the issue of Ukraine aid. The White House uh, has been uh, stressing that they believe Ukraine aid can get the support up on Capitol Hill, but it's unclear who the next speaker will be and how they might try to decide to approach that matter. But it, it will be an interesting task for the president as he will soon have to uh, face the reality of working with a new speaker of the House. Of course, he had just built up a relationship with McCarthy since he had came in office, and now he's going to be confronting a new reality uh, as the House Republicans are grappling with finding their speaker. Yeah, it's such an interesting point because it's not just the president and the speaker, it's also their teams. McCarthy himself mm -hmm. giving shout outs to Steve Reschetti, the senior advisor, Shawanza Goff, who runs Ledge Affairs for the White House, uh, which was not something I had on my bingo card during the one plus hour <laughs> uh, press conference. All right, Arlette Science, great reporting. Thank you. Well, these are the pages of papers, front pages from across the country this morning as our nation enters, we're going to keep saying it because it's true, uncharted territory. No leader in the House with just weeks left to prevent a government shutdown. Other than that, everything's going great. Back with us is CNN anchor Audie Cornish and White House correspondent for Bloomberg News, Kayla Gardner. I, I joke because I'm not really sure what else to do at this point because one, this institution often seems to be a mess. But also, we were talking during the break, it just feels like every week something can be described as unprecedented. You said we need a new segment It just is unprecedented. Unprecedented. And, and it's not Here even hyperbolic again. in this yeah. case because historically it's never happened before. Um, 
is this a reflection of something important? You're so good at big picturing things, or is this just a, man, this is where we're at? I mean, I think there's a lot of things that can be said overall about polarization in this country, and obviously the House is a reflection of that between gerrymandered districts and people's sort of new incentive. But I think what's really fascinating is watching the nature of power shift. So you have someone like Kevin McCarthy, who is a big fundraiser, right, who theoretically should be able to call in a lot of favors to maintain power. You have someone like Matt Gates, who is not a great fundraiser. He's a fundraiser for himself, but he doesn't take much in the way of PACs, et cetera, but he gets a lot of TV hits. Right now, the power is with the guy, the kingmaker is the guy who can get the attention. And the attention economy, that makes sense, but that's not so great for governing. And I think that Arlette also forecasts a really fascinating fissure that's going to happen over the next few weeks over funding to Ukraine. Yes. That thing has been the undercurrent to a lot of this. And the former president is not supportive of funding for Ukraine. And there's a lot of people in the House who are going to fight to that end. And it's going to really mess up that conversation in the fall. And I think speaking to the historic nature of this moment, I think Kevin McCarthy really thought the Democrats were going to save him because of that alone, that they didn't want this contrast, at least on the world stage, to have an empty speakership. That obviously is not what happened. Democrats did not step in and save him. And I think it ultimately came down to a question of character and trust. They felt like he kept going back on his word. And something that really stood out was his comments on Face the Nation over the weekend. Democrats yes. obviously voted in larger numbers than Republicans to avert a government shutdown, and yet he criticized them and he said did. they were the ones that tried to put the shutdown. That really bothered they them. They played them at the closed-door caucus meeting yesterday. The Democrats did. House Democratic leadership did. And yeah. those relationships matter, right? And I think that what was revealed is that relationships within his party weren't so great. You had Burchett on this morning mm -hmm. talking about what he perceived to be a very kind of ugly conversation ahead of that vote. If you can't win over a Tennessee Republican in your conference, what are you here for? You know, this is what it's about, is building and maintaining these relationships for the ultimate goal of governance. And I don't know what you do if you start to have folks who are actually not that interested in the governance process. Here's McCarthy, what he said about not having regrets. I don't regret standing up for choosing governance over grievance. It is my responsibility, it is my job. I do not regret negotiating. Our government is designed to find compromise. Now uh, it is in the question that we've had the Democrats on that they're not answering is the alternative. The question of the alternative, right? You just heard Catherine Clark, the number two and a half, saying Hakeem Jeffries. We heard that from Pat Ryan earlier today. That's not the reality. They don't have five Republican votes to get that. Can you answer the question that they're not answering right now, which is, are any of these other names being floated more palatable for some reason than Kevin McCarthy was to them? Yeah, I think the biggest name right now is Steve Scalise. He's number two to McCarthy. He's naturally the person that would take over. We're also hearing Jim Jordan, who is a founding member of the House Freedom Caucus. He's also leading the charge to impeach Which President I, Biden. Yeah. Even though the White House does not have a say, I can tell you for sure they do not want him to be that person. To them, that's worse than McCarthy. Especially because of Ukraine. Yes. Jim Jordan does not want Ukraine funding to continue. The one thing they had security with, with Kevin McCarthy, yeah. was that he publicly supported he continuing funding, continuing what to about send Scalise? 
Scalise also supports it. He has a B rating, according to one report that rates Republicans on how much they support Ukraine. So they would feel comfortable with him. But I don't think they have a dog in this fight. They know that Republicans do not care what President Biden thinks or who should be the next speaker. This is a decision that they have to make as a caucus. But definitely not Jim Jordan. Some of these other highliners like Byron Donalds, other folks that are really closely tied to Donald Trump, they would not be comfortable with those names. Audie, this is not the biggest issue, and I'm the first to acknowledge that. But one of the first things that Patrick McHenry, the speaker pro tem, or, or not totally sure what we describe him at this point, other than this a placeholder. Like beat the gavel. I mean, he was aggressive with the gavel. I respect, I respect yeah, the gavel strike I appreciated game. that. Uh, no doubt about it. Um, Nancy Pelosi, the former Speaker of the House, Steny Hoyer, the former Majority Leader of the House, um, who have left leadership, both of them apparently have left, lost their offices inside the Capitol complex. We're told basically to take right, their stuff out. Right, what they're called, their hideaways. Their hideaways. So this is basically a kind of a courtesy space you get as somebody who had been an important leader. Right. And yes, I do think it's interesting that the very first, first thing, thing they did was lash out at her and she wasn't even there. So just like living rent free in their heads. But I don't know if that is going to help them get to the next step. The question is, is Matt Gates in charge of figuring out who the next speaker is? Because if he is, this is a very different ball game. Why? Because I don't know where his power really lies. I've not heard many lawmakers say a single nice thing about him, right? He's not exactly beloved. And it's not clear what he wants. What is his set beyond these conversations about order and committees, et cetera, where is he on these bigger issues? And I think that is something that the country will have to reckon with if we're seeing a shift in power in that conference. Yeah, that's a great point. It's also worth noting, Gates was able to whip eight people. That's his power. That's all he needed. That's, that's all he needed. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Okay, great to see you, Audie. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Well, as Congress' historic vote to remove Kevin McCarthy as House Speaker continues, or at least process to try and get to that point, more reactions from a House Republican just ahead. Plus, former President Trump is back in court in an hour. We'll take you there. After Florida Congressman Matt Gates filed a resolution that would remove Kevin McCarthy from the speakership, McCarthy tweeted, bring it on. And Gates replied, quote, just did. You know... <laughs> A lot of people think Joe Biden is too old to govern, but it sounds like these guys aren't old enough. Back in January, Congress had to vote a record 15 times for McCarthy to get the speaker's job. But to remove him, just one. That's progress, Kev. It's one way of defining progress. So does all this make you want to come back here, Mattingly? Uh, this feels like a trick question where yeah. I'm going to get myself in trouble one way or another. Look, no, it just, here's, here, I can't believe we're here at this point. Also, a beautiful a day. Thank you for setting that up. Um, I think the difficulty for me is that building behind you I hold in like the highest regard and absolutely revere it. And every day I walk into it or walked into it, all I could think about was how lucky I was to be in the coolest building in the world. And I think this isn't great for the institution. It's not great right. for the country. And I hope they figure something out. Um, but damn, as a reporter, it's good to cover. It is really, really fascinating to cover. We don't know the end game here. We that don't. That is very, very rare. Manu has his running shoes on today, yeah. as does Lauren Fox. Yeah. Uh, but in all seriousness, this is a first for the country. It's a sad day, and we'll see where it goes from here. And we appreciate all of you joining us for our special coverage from Washington, D.C. Stay with CNN. News Central is after this. That is it for this episode of CNN This Morning. You can check out our lineup of podcasts and showcasts at cnn.com slash audio or in your favorite podcast app. 
Thanks for listening. We all do things our own way. And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number Smart Beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 Smart Bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.